Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Power Party. Here with your hosts, Mark and Oni yet again. What's up? And here we have a a variety episode. We got the sad, lonely people's podcast today. Yeah, we got <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a downbeat, but we're gonna make it upbeat. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have ways. a fun take, you know. Yeah, we'll have a fun take and everything. And uh, we got a bit of cheese thrown in there as well, you know, because you need that. Oh, you got to lather in that cheese. Just, yeah, we're yeah. Gonna, we got like a depressing sandwich here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lovely bit of ham and cheese in the middle. Yeah. But those two pieces of bread, they're... They're dour. They're dour. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll make it fun, though. Mm. But uh, but yeah, how you been? I've been good. I'm good. How, how was you? your banker? Did absolutely fuck all the way the Lord intended. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Easter. Easter. Easter week. High key think Easter is like the best holiday because you just don't do anything. I, I just never noticed Easter. Same. I was like, oh yeah, today's Sunday. I mean, Easter. Yeah, Easter <laughs> no Sunday. impact. Yeah, a guy at work asked if I did anything for Easter, like like uh, celebrating. I was like, nah, not really. He's like, are you baptized? And I was like, but like, I was like, ah, it's not really a thing. Why did though, you put it? on the census form for religion? I just put down Catholic to rep the lads. I said no religion. Oh. No religion. Yeah, because I'm not lying. Losing my religion. Mm-hmm. R.E.M. job. R.E.M. job. I, I, just, I just put down <laughs> Catholic just as a default. But um, obviously, no, I don't really practice. Yeah. It's, it's Easter, I have no respect for Easter, you know. It's a bit It's a bit grim. Isn't, is Lent over now or is Lent starting? Lent's over, yeah. All Lent right. ends Good Friday, I think. Yeah, because that's like... Are a Good Friday or Easter? I can't oh, no, surely it's Easter. And it's like, oh, you get your fucking eggs on Easter then to yeah, celebrate. Your, your treats, yeah. Because yeah, so that's like, like our Ramadan, isn't it? I was just thinking that. Yeah, we just we just get rid of <laughs> one thing that we like. <laughs> yeah, they get rid of everything. They're really mad. Surely there has to be like surely like somewhere somewhere there's like mad Christians that just do Ramadan for Lent for like forty days. Yeah, yeah. Because people at work were talking about the fast. I was mm. like, what the what fast? Yeah. Around Easter and they're talking about Lent. But maybe there's like a more extreme version of Lent. Surely there is. There yeah. has to be like Yeah, we're just really ignorant about it. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, Easter week. You know what I never understood? I was just thinking about it. You know the whole Easter rising thing? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that that's what that has that has some kind of like Christian symbolism, the whole rising, you know, East, Jesus you rose. fucking joking me, Mark? I never got that. <laughs> I never understood that. Easter rising. I was like, why is it called a rising? None of the other ones are called rising. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, Easter yeah, rising. it's the Irish state rising. Yeah, so it's a mad, On the Sunday. A mad Catholic thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, they, yeah. they never really emphasized that. I think for It's good, in the name! <laughs> For good reason, you shouldn't emphasize that. It's not about being Catholic, you know. Mm. It's about the Republic. But it's Irish, yeah, an Irish Catholic Republic. Nah, we don't want that. We want a secular republic. Yeah, but um, yeah, because they didn't really did they celebrate it because it was on the twenties, twenty something, wasn't it? Twenty first, twenty second. But the rising, yeah, because it changes every year. Easter changes every year. It's one. That's one of the most annoying things about it. Yeah, I haven't seen any like Easter rising posts yet. So I'm assuming assuming it's next week. Yeah, (laughs) so we're near the end of Easter. We're near the end of April. Yeah. Like, you know, 18th right now. Crazy. Mm, so, yeah, I think mall. it is like, yeah, I think it's in the tw- some some days in the 20s. I can't remember yeah, exactly the day. I remember learning them off and Maybe it's immediately ne- forgetting them. Yeah. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as I out of that exam, gone. Can't remember a single one. Delete. Yeah, d- gone. <laughs> Who was president? Which US president got assassinated? Don't know, uh, bro. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Don't care. But yeah, I, I had no idea. I was just thinking about that. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. Mm. That makes so much sense. Padraig Pierce and the fucking Blood sacrifice bastard. and all that as well. Yeah, the blood sacrifice. Jihad. Christian Basically, jihad. Yeah. It's all the same thing. It literally is just the same thing. Mm-hmm. All those religions. I'm not entirely sure how back, like, not back, but like how 
religious, I guess, would have been the Easter Rising leaders. Uh, loads of them were mad religious. Yeah, but, and all. but were they like proper like jihads, like basically? Uh, I don't know. Because I don't think religion wasn't really part of the... It was like... It was an element. It was an element of it because they're Irish. There were certain amounts of them, yeah. But then they also had Connolly and he was like, he didn't care for any of that mm. stuff. You can give a rats. Yeah. He's just about socialism. A weird, like, a weird kind of bunch of dudes that decided to join yeah. <laughs> to join together. Yeah, it's mad that they kind of got together, yeah. They didn't can you name all the leaders? Uh, I can name about five, probably. Mm, yeah, they can only name five. Yeah, how many were there? <laughs> Seven, eight, was eight. It's not 12, no? Maybe it is 12. Like the Apostles. Jesus, I'm. Sure we are not. losing our Irish card <laughs> as we speak. I can't remember because I haven't thought about this. I'm gonna rip up my passport right like now. Irish I don't deserve it. Rising, all right, rising leaders. Who are the signatories of the proclamation? Yeah, who are the people that signed it as well? I actually yeah, know. It's like it's like Thomas McDonough, Plunkett, Pierce, was Kent in there? Um, okay, I'm getting names. Markovich, Valera. Like I'm getting like I looked up like the, wasn't the rising leaders, and I'm getting fucking. British generals coming up as well. Fuck <laughs> off. That's not what I meant. Maxwell. Um, Maxwell. I'm, let me see here. I'm exposing myself. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, I was right. Yeah, it's only seven. Who were they? Um, Say their names. Patrick Pierce, James Connolly, Thomas Clark. I'm going to put it in the phone now. Thomas Clark. Um, <laughs> um, was there a. Who would I say? Podgy Pierce, James Connolly, Thomas Clark, and I need four more. Um, uh, Kent, Kent, sorry, Amy Eamon, Kent. Amy yeah, Kent. uh, Thomas McDonough, Thomas McDonough, yeah, um, Sean McDermott, yeah, he's no. kind of forgotten. He's was he was, he's pretty him. cool. Is there not another one there? Amy Kent, Joseph Plunkett. Jeez, how the fuck did I forget Plunkett? Yeah. Oh, Grace, <laughs> he was mad Catholic. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. 16, oh yeah, there was 16 executed. No, I should have there's more. 16, what did they execute 16? I thought it was only the signatories. No, they were, they killed more than that. Yeah, those bastards. I am... Um, yeah, that, yeah, there's only seven, yeah. Man, I can't remember, like, all that stuff about the Rising, all I remember is, from school, is like, how, we're doing this, now nah, we're not, we're calling off, now nah, yeah, we're going ahead with this, half of us aren't going to do it, the other half might go ahead with it, yeah. no, we're all going to go ahead with it, now nah, wait, push it back to the next Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. all I remember about the Rising. <laughs> yeah, it was very, yeah, slapdash. Mm. It, it was all foil, because poor old, um, what was his fucking name, um, Casement, Roger Casement. He's a king. He got foiled. He was an like a literal, well, not a literal king, but a, a metaphorical <laughs> king. He was an absolute. He legend. was. He His went work everywhere. He yeah, went. human rights activists around the world. Belgian Congo exposed mm. the truth, and then he got radicalized. Sir Roger Casement. Yeah, he was like, "Fuck that! I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that stuff." Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping sides. Yeah, yeah. Like he finally king. got a statue as well. He oh, did have, he? Yeah, he has a statue in a pier. Where is it? It's not. Is it in Dun? It's either in Dun Leary or fucking Wexford or something like that. Yes. But he has a he has a big statue on a pier. It should be bigger and it should be more central location. They should mm-hmm. tear down the uh, was it O'Connell statue? Because that guy was a traitor. He was a tra- He was the original West Brit. They should tear down that statue on O'Connell Street and put someone decent there. Wolf Tone or uh, Roger Casement. <laughs> one of the other. Yeah, one of them. Or just take one of the lads. Like 
Markovic, one of them. Yeah, Markovic, where's her? Where's her? Oh, surely she has a statue she somewhere. Definitely has a statue. She needs a bigger <laughs> statue. <laughs> yeah, she needs one. She, replace them. Um, get rid of Molly Malone. I'm tired of tourists fucking. Yeah, fondling her tits. Grabbing her. Like, yeah. <laughs> leave that poor woman alone. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, she had enough of fucking Yates. She doesn't need this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. What all Yates? Yeah, a lot of horny people. Mm. Yeah. Too many horny people, some might say. Yeah, there's an excess of horniness. Too many horny teens that need to get just fucking murked yeah. by Jason or Michael Myers, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a theme. I finished up the Friday 13th franchise, Ooh. excluding Freddy vs. Jason, because my next low-key binge is going to be Nightmare on Elm Street films. No, there you go. Yeah, so then I'll f- culminate at the end point with Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah, 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 <laughs> a little dovetail at the end. There's only a few, like, I'm pretty sure, I have a feeling that Fr- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street will, in general, just be better than Friday 13th. Friday 13th, mm. looking like looking at the whole franchise, it is shocking how <laughs> bad, for the most part, that series is. How did they do it? It's, how did they get away with that? I have no idea. Jesus. Because, <clears throat> like, there's 11, there's 11, like, mainline, ex- again, excluding Freddy vs. Jason. Uh, Friday 13 films. But, like, there hasn't been a Friday 13 film since the remake. Mm. There's been, like, three. <laughs> there's been, like, three fucking uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw films since then and three Halloween films. Or even four. No, three. Uh, three. Yeah, yeah. So, like, they really pumped these out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who watched them? Oh, fucking Lord, no. Some absolute cretins. Anyway. Yeah. I'll finish off with the, the remake. Friday 13th, which was, so, again, with the copyright stuff that went on with um, the franchise, parts 9 and 10 couldn't be called Friday the 13th. So, this is, like, the first time that a Friday the 13th film was called Friday the 13th in something like 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's it's a 2000s remake. Oh, no. Yeah. That's never gone gone well, has it? No. But, like... That literally, that never worked once. Well, The Departed, maybe. Evil Dead. Yeah, I suppose. Evil Dead did like, work multiple times. Yeah, it's worked. Like, I'm thinking like more so like uh, like horror remakes. Yeah. Like the easily the best one from the 2000s is the Evil Dead one. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw is pretty good as well. Um, Halloween's never great. You did see the Texas. We did the, the remake, the first remake. Uh, wait, which one? Texas Chainsaw. Oh yeah, shit, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I was thinking about the Halloween one. Halloween ones, like looking back on it, like <laughs> I did not enjoy the Halloween one, but it was mostly to do with Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh-huh. I feel like Michael is a sacred enough character. Like even in the bad Friday or Halloween films, they they're still his character is still there. Mm. In Friday Thirteenth, Jason is. I I would honestly argue that Leatherface has a more set personality than Jason. <laughs> yeah, he probably does. Yeah, and definitely um, Freddy does as well. Like Jason is literally just a dude in a fucking hockey mask. <laughs> That's all he is. That's all he does, and he just kills teenagers. And in this one, the way that they characterize him is basically after like his mom killed everyone in the first film. Like the first film is still canon in this remake. Um, or at least the events of the first film are still canon. And, like, Jason's, like, this mutant kind of dude, I guess. He's, like, heavily deformed, but he's, like, super strength and stuff like that. Like, he's, like, yeah, whatever. And uh, he's just been living out in the woods, and he's a hunter. So, like, mm. the way that he 
catches teenagers and stuff like that in this film is like he'll injure one of them and like leave them there and then wait for some more people to come and try and help them and then just take them all out. That's good. Mm. Smart. He, he has like bear traps that he leaves out for people. He um he's a he's a force to be reckoned with to say the least. Like this dude's a fucking killer. Jesus. He the way the film starts is we've like five characters. Like yeah, I think it's like yeah, it's five characters that um are coming in to camp at Crystal Lake and they're like, Oh, did you ever hear about the massacre that happened here? It's like, ah, oh, that's all folk tale, it's a legend or whatever. And um they all park up or whatever. And then very quickly one of them dies. Jason gets him straight away. And Jason's wearing the bag like he does in part two. The bag? What's the bag? He just has like a scarecrow mask, like No, like a sack like a, a sack over his head. Oh right, yeah. And he just has like rope around it to keep it to his face. Uh-huh. And he has like one of his eyes popping out. Um so he quickly kills one guy and then he quickly kills a third or a second and then a third and then the fourth. And I was like, we only have one character left. Yeah. We're like 15 minutes into this film. What the fuck is going on? And then it just, he gets her as well and it's like, done. Friday the 13th pops up on screen and then a ah. new batch comes in. I was like, ah, it was kind of like Scream. That's good. Because like, um, one of the fellas in the group, he's in that, did you ever hear that TV show Superstore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's in that. He's like the main enough kind of guy. The in main that. guy. Yeah, like, I've never uh, seen Superstore, but I think he's like the main guy. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen Superstore? Yeah, I've seen quite a bit of it. Yeah. You know the guy. He's the he's the new guy, in at the start of the show. And he gets uh, romantically yes. entangled with your one. Yeah. Yes, him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, him. He's he, nice. He's in it, right? <laughs> and I was like, he like he wasn't famous back then, but like he's enough of a person that was like maybe this is the group I'm sticking with throughout the entire film. In which case, five? That's a really low body count. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then like eight or nine people show up in the other group. I'm like, oh, okay, right. So only one of you is surviving this. Mm. So that's, that, that, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kills in this film. Um, and uh, it's like, <laughs> like overall, the film's it's like. It's not good. No, not really. No bueno. It's, there's so many like jump scares, like, and like loud noises and stuff like that. Mm. And like, it's literally, I was literally sitting there like, like a countdown mm. exactly when each jump scare was coming um, that's not good yeah but the like the only saving grace in this film is like the, the kills the kills are fucked up they're so they're like Jason fucking butchers these cunts like he, he grabs right so the first like proper like hard kill that he fucking does is he grabs this girl and he tosses her into a sleeping bag and then he strings her upside down and he lights a fire under her. And then, because he's doing that so that she's screaming and she lures out her boyfriend, he goes straight into a bear trap. <laughs> and then Jason just like leaves the two of them and just goes off to, you know, get the other, the rest of them. So he almost just burns to death in a fucking sleeping bag while her boyfriend sits there just watching and can't do anything about it. Oh God. And then Jason comes back and just machetes him in the head. That's That's a bit... Because that's like a real escalation from the first. Ooh, well, what I would know, you know. They, up until like the middle half or like the middle third of the franchise is like cheesy and like goofy. And then it's like that's the most like uh, character development or like character establishment, I guess, that Jason gets is that he's kind of cheesy in like the middle portion of the films. And then he's just like he's just a guy in a mask the rest of the time. Mm. So, like, seeing him like this was like, 
it's not that much of a whiplash or like it's still like there's no true Jason. It's not like you can like bastardize the character like Michael Myers where you're like, here's the backstory of why he's a sad man. Yeah, you can do what you want. You can do what you want because he he literally doesn't matter. (laughs) Mm. He's just, he's, he's an icon that quite literally has nothing behind him and it's so strange. Yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, do you think? I mean, it's really easy to make a Friday the 13th film. Yeah. Because he doesn't have anything established with them. But at the same time as that, like each one of these films is basically the same thing again and again and again. Like People go to Crystal Lake, they camp, they die. That is what happens in each one of the films, except for the time where he goes to space. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's the only time where, yeah, where that doesn't a real happen. real caveat there, yeah. As opposed to like Halloween, where it's like, oh, he wants to go, like he wants to kill Laurie. And then the second film is like, he's coming to Laurie, but it's in a hotel or like a, a hospital. Mm. And then the third film is like something completely different, whatever. Fourth film, he's going after someone else. Fifth film, you know, whatever. Like The cult. He, like yeah. the cult, like mm-hmm. they establish stuff into each one. Yeah. But like each Friday the 13th film, doesn't really follow on from the last film for the most part mm. and then it just ends up being the same fucking film again but with different kills yeah it's so a, it's if, an extremely hollow franchise if you were to make if you were given the reins over the next Friday the 13th film what would you do in terms of Jason the character there, how would you how would you make him your own or how would you do something that would make him interesting at least, like, show us a little bit of Jason when he was a kid. Because, mm. like, you don't really see Jason as a kid that much. And especially, like, in the Friday the 13th remake, they do not touch it. Well, yeah, they don't touch it at all. The only thing I can think of is if, if you show Jason as a kid getting bullied. That is, like, something integral to the character that we have never seen <laughs> in 12 yeah. fucking films. Never seen it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's comic books that relate his uh, origin story. Do something from the comics, because I forget mm. that, like, there are comics for, like, all these dudes as mm. well. Yeah, Letterface is loads of them. It's re- I think that's so fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I've never, ever thought about reading one of the comics, like Alien vs. Predator and stuff like that. Do they have comics, yeah? They have comics, yeah. That's where the idea of Alien vs. Predator comes from, I'm pretty oh, sure. I'd never read them, no. Yeah, no, I wouldn't read them <laughs> either, but, like, I wouldn't read fucking Friday the 13th um, mm. uh, comic or anything like that. Yeah, well, like, the barrier for uh, the comic, because, like, obviously, Alien vs. Predator, you have, you have like, a really good precedent. The first mm. two films from those franchises, and then even Alien has better ones mm-hmm. further on, better sequels and stuff. But, like, so the comics are going to always be reaching towards something that they're never going to mm-hmm. be able to reach. But well, Friday the Thirteenth feels like it'd be good fodder for that kind of thing. You can just do whatever you want. That kind of medium because there's nothing. To, there's no. There's no uh, quality fucking mm. standard there because the films themselves are really bad. Yeah, even they're like, all bad. Even like the best one is like, like it's yeah. it's good bad. <laughs> 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 it's purposely bad in some aspects. Yeah, yeah. But like even at that, it's still like it's kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. Like and like the the remake. I was watching this on my TV downstairs and I had it set to vivid, and I was like. What does this film actually look like? And I switched across to watch it on like a regular. I don't know why the TV was set to vivid. It just was, but um, clicked onto like standard version. Oh, oh! This is a horrible looking film. Yeah, it's like grey, just like dull, lifeless, nothing to look at. Yeah, yeah, and dark. But like whatever, but it's been like remember um, Texas Chainsaw. At the very least, in that film. 
they were trying to replicate or like semi-replicate the like mm, the the remake like the the coloring yeah the coloring yeah, yeah. of the original Texas Chainsaw film yeah, yeah but this film is just gray and dark it's like you don't even have the excuse being directed by Rob Zombie like Halloween <laughs> yeah. what are you doing like again no identities just copying the remakes that are out at the time has anyone who's actually good at the job worked on this franchise as in like. Like an uh, Kevin like an, Bacon, uh, yeah, that's a, that's the only thing I can think of. Like a name, is there any any names actually worked in this franchise? Corey Feldman, Corey. That's like that's not really a plus. <laughs> Corey Feldman, he's famous for being fucking a train wreck, basically. Yeah, the guy. I'm pretty sure that the, the only the cool thing if you're into like horror icons and like really get into like who plays Jason and whatever, yeah, like. Yeah. You get that at the very least, but I don't give a shit. He's a rat. Can't even see his face. Yeah, I don't care. Like I yeah. don't, I'm pretty sure like the same guy played Jason from like eight, nine, and ten, and I think he played Michael Myers one time. I don't fucking care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah the Michael Myers guy came back in Halloween twenty eighteen or something. He came out for a few scenes, I think, but like no one cares because that's like if you're writing that, if you if you're using that as like a a positive piece of trivia or whatever, mm. then your film is fucked. It's, it's, that's yeah. one of your main things. Oh, look, he's back. He's back. Like <laughs> they did that on Halloween 2018, but it was just kind of it's like, oh yeah, that's a little thing that we have inside. Mm. But the film is actually good, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's we're the main not, thing. Yeah, <laughs> we're not hanging our hat on this this stupid little thing that no one cares about. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. It's what a weird thing to like base your like part of your marketing off is a person that you don't fucking see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that guy that you never saw. Yeah, he's back. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if I met a person like that, I'd be like, that's really cool. Like that'd be cool to meet you that you played. Yeah, yeah. You played Jason, whatever. At a con or something. But yeah. like, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> at the same time, you say that to your face. <laughs> like, it's really I, cool you played it, but I actually don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like it's cool, man. Like, you're an icon, whatever. <laughs> but just to a world that I'm not really a part of. <laughs> yeah, brutal, brutal. But like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's definitely. cool, but like, you know. It's also who cares. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I would have preferred the films were decent. <laughs> like, the, out of all the remakes that I've watched, this is probably the worst one, but I prefer it still to um, Halloween. Halloween remake? Yeah. I would have the 2000s remakes. Is this one just uh, called Friday the 13th? Yeah. Oh, when was it, 2009? Nine or eight. Oh, yeah. Um, this is the film. This film, this film's trailer, is what got me into like horror films when I was younger. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, because I remember seeing the trailer for it, and I was like, "That looks fucked up. That looks so scary." Mm. And I asked my dad about it, and he just started telling me about the Friday Thirteen franchise. Tell me about Nightmare on Elm Street. He's like, "These are all these horror films that were back out in the day." And just told me about all that. I was like, "I need to see these films." It's hilarious that I, that did out of the iconic four. He only told me about Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. And they're the two that I was like, I'm never going to watch those. Yeah. <laughs> like when I got older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Halloween really is where it's at, mm. you know? Yeah, even even Texas Chainsaw, like, it's one good film. Yeah, yeah. Sad. It's better than this, though. <laughs> it's sad. It's sad. It's a shame, but what can we do? I'm d- I have a feeling that, like, Nightmare on Elm Street is going to be fun. What do you mean? Oh, I the, feel the like franchise, yeah. yeah. Like, I think that's I've, a I've fun a of, franchise. I've heard a lot of positive things. Plus, they have Johnny Depp mm. and uh, your man, uh, England, who mm. um, plays Freddy. Mm. He's in a lot of things. Yeah, he's, like, he's, he's Freddy actually, in each one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's also in a lot of other stuff. Though I, taking back what I said, I think that the... <clears throat> I have a feeling that the Nightmare on Elm Street remake 
that came out in the 2000s might be the worst remake out of all of them. Why? Did you ever see what Freddy looks like in that film? No. In the he, remake in t- 2009? Yeah. No? He looks like Voldemort. <laughs> he looks fuck? fucking terrible. He has like a weird CGI face. Um, It just looks terrible. Especially when you look at like Freddy, like iconic Freddy from, you know, the originals. Yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? Is that it? He looks a bit grim. He looks like a little goblin. Yeah, that like that photo there and stuff like that. Like he just looks yeah. wrong. They also made him a pe- they also made him a pedo. Wasn't he always a pedo? No, so he's just a child murderer. Oh, <laughs> which is somewhat more likable than a yeah, murdering yeah. pedophile. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember, I was I was also really scared of this film, having never seen it. Mm. And I read the uh, I did what I used to always do. I, I, I read I, the Wikipedia page. I read, read the Wikipedia page, and I was just like, this sounds really like heavy. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound like like pleasant to watch at all because I remember that detail mm-hmm. but I thought that was like a uh, like canonical I thought he was always a no I don't a think he is I think, I don't think yeah. he is at uh, least no you're probably right because I, I, I only read that one I don't, I don't think I've read the, the plot summary for the yeah. original one you know <laughs> like and that's the thing because like, I feel like he's a goofy character in the first and um, especially the third one like he's a go- he's a goofy enough character yeah. surely the fuck he's not also a beautiful like, yeah. there's no way that you can't do that <laughs> You yeah. can't do that. <laughs> yeah, because to some extent, all these characters need to be some kind of anti-hero mm. in a way where you're almost, you're not rooting for them, but you're rooting for some kind of conflict oh, where there's like, where it's not just a case of this guy is pure evil, mm-hmm. we have to take him down. It's like, if he's if he's a pedophile fucking child murderer, there's not much you can get behind. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If, at least, at least if he's a child he's, murderer, that's one thing to get yeah, over. that's one <laughs> that's thing. <new. laughs> it's like, yeah, he's a bad guy and it's kind of playful, you know? it's a movie but then it's like he's a pe- also a pedophile mm. it's like oh, this is unnecessary yeah like you know hot, like like um that's a step too far it's a step too far bro <laughs> i'll take the torture i'll take the murder yeah, i'll take yeah. you wearing them face but a pedophile no no thank you <laughs> can't get behind that the um it's funny what you're saying about like be like rooting for the villain like there's a character in the remake where i was like i can't wait to see jason butcher you <laughs> oh really yeah. he's such he's a rich preppy asshole oh he's the worst and the film knows that he's the worst like they take like there's a bit where like he has a sex scene with someone um and he's just like your tits are stupendous <laughs> and she's like what <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like that um the guy in the what was it texas chainsaw was it three four next four. yeah barry whatever the fuck his name yeah, was. yeah yeah, yeah it's barry. like that yeah, rape is bad. Mm-hmm. Is it's like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to root for for the the bad guy in yeah. this situation. I have to hope Jason gets it, and he does. And it's not as much as satisfying kill as I would have liked, but it's a spectacle nonetheless. <laughs> mm, yeah, but yeah, it's, it sounds. I'll probably uh, join you. Are you gonna watch that next week? I'll at I least watch. A, I might take a horror break for a bit. All right, I'll, I'll at least when tell me when you're watching. I'll at least watch the first Nightmare. Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. I'll let you know. I think that the first one's like the first and third one. From what I hear, is like the are really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Third one's the gay one. The gay one. Yeah, it's got all <laughs> this subtext about being gay. About being gay, so mm. there we go. There's Freddy's gay. No, with the kid that he's terrorizing is. Oh right, yeah. It's like I know your secret, John, and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's like so, it. Yeah, it is like it. Yeah, yeah. but hopefully more tastefully tasty yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, God, what did you think of Chapter Two of it? I didn't like it really. Yeah, I thought it wasn't as good. Bill Hader was good, that's it. That's the one good thing about that film is yeah, Bill Hader. And everyone, everyone else was dog shit. Everyone raves about Bill Hader in that film because he's literally the one good thing in that yeah, film. It's not like he even does anything amazing. He's just 
Dion, he's the best of a bad bunch. Mm. Like Jessica Chastain, I remember he was so fucking annoying in that film. Yeah. And then he was the guy with the pot with the, the rider. I can't remember, but he was really annoying as well. Mm. But uh yeah, that was that wasn't a James good film. McAvoy. Was it? It might have been James McAvoy. Yeah, yeah. James McAvoy's like the lead Yeah, good. yeah. yeah. Oh, he was yeah, he was shit. Yeah. But he was shit in the original as well. I didn't like that character. <laughs> he's really yeah. annoying. I haven't seen the it just since it came out in cinemas. I like to I'm never gonna trust the film again. Just leave that where it is. <laughs> Leave it be. I have a feeling that I wouldn't enjoy it as much on the, on the rewatch, but we'll leave it as it is. Absolutely. But yeah, speaking of Stephen King mm. adaptations. Didn't even what is, for that. What a segue. <laughs> what a segue. But uh, speaking of Stephen King adaptations, I watched Pet Cemetery, the original Pet Cemetery, not the remake. I watched the original Pet Cemetery, which is out in 1989, I believe. Something like that. Late 80s, anyway. And... Um, it's uh, it's a fucking classic. It's a great film. Mm. It, it really stands out. It makes me appreciate it all the more because the the, the uh, remake is so shit. It's so bad. There's a remake. All these films are remakes. There was a remake in 2019 and it was absolutely dog crap. <laughs> it was rubbish. I've heard you like. I think that's the film that I've heard you shit on the most. <laughs> yeah, it was just because because it, it, like it's a remake of a film that is like uh, this film that I watched, which is like B for B perfect mm-hmm. in, in terms of what it is you know mm-hmm. um, and like you can do it in a different way you could remake the film definitely it, like, it's per, it's there for a remake but the remake is just like it takes elements from the original film and, for, and rips elements out of the book which didn't need to be ripped out and changes everything about like the last third mm-hmm. and it just uh, oh, it just completely fucks it up <laughs> like loads of the, some of the most iconic scenes from the original film are just like they're there in a really bastardized, ver- bastardized version in 2019. It's right. Just, just like rubbish. Watch, though, watch, everyone should watch uh, Pet Cemetery. Mm, the original. 1989. Uh, it's not like an urgent fucking, you know, tour de force or whatever. It's just a really good film. Mm. It's like, um, this is the film, to relate it to a film that we might have talked about recently, Lamb. This is the film that Lamb should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it okay, is. okay, yeah. It is. It's yeah. the film that Lamb should be. Lamb is, Lamb is marketed as like fo- a folk horror. We talked about that. It's like a short film, very slow. It's like very different to Pet Cemetery, but it's about the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. They're both about grief. They're both about the loss of a child. They're both about hanging on to things that are better left in the past, mm-hmm. trying to relive the past, trying to recapture things that are that are gone, that don't exist anymore. Um, Lamb fails, I think, in like a really, in an unforgivable way, just the fact that it's not a really... fundamental level. <laughs> fundamental level. It's not. It's just not interesting. It's not really engaging at all. Pet Cemetery is the exact opposite. Mm. It's it's like grabbing you by the balls, you know, <laughs> straight away. It's like really, like a really stimulating film. Like it's a real horror film. It's not just a. <laughs> grabs you by the balls. It's, it's a really stimulating <laughs> film. <laughs> it stimulates you. It's like it's not a. Uh, it's a horror film. It's a proper horror film. It's actually yeah. it's actually like really scary in points. Like it has uh, yeah, I has good seen, scares. I don't think I've seen, I, even though, like you're saying like the iconic moments from this film. I've you never have seen, to watch this. I've never seen anything from this film. Oh man, you you uh, you would like it. I think mm. I think you'd really like it. You'd really enjoy it. Um, because for the most part, like uh, there's a lot of uh, I don't know the uh, the filling. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the plot fluff and stuff like that. Like it, it's just like sort of standard horror, eighties horror kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then it has these really like these key moments that uh, that just stick with you. That are just like done extr- like really well. Um, uh, just like the. Uh, the immediacy of what happens and like the uh I don't want to spoil it now because you haven't seen it but like there's um I know the basic plot um like they try, he tries to bring back 
Yeah. Cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, because it's, it's this guy, Creed. He's, he's a... He's a uh, not Apollo Creed. What's his name? Um, Lewis. Apollo, Apollo Creed. <laughs> his name is uh, this guy, Lewis Creed, and he's a doctor. And he moves out to Maine, you know, it's classic Stephen mm-hmm. King. L- l- moves out to, like, the middle of nowhere in Maine with his uh, wife and his son and his daughter. Um, and they live on the... On this, this like a uh, sort of regional road, which always has trucks driving by. Do they live on a, an Indian burial ground? That's part of the story. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So they live on this big road with trucks. Trucks are always driving by. It's like it's just like a sort of like a shipping lane or whatever. Yeah. Um, or like a freight freight lane. But on the other side of the road, there's this guy called Judd. He's like this really old, this really old, decrepit guy. He was a uh, the guy in in this one, nineteen eighty nine version. He's he's um. He was one of the monsters. You know, remember the monsters? Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't remember the monsters. No, but, but like, I know everyone the knows are, the monsters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was one of the monsters. I think he was, was he Eddie Monster? I'm not sure, but he's one of them. And uh, he's like, he's really, he's like got it down, creepy old man, but like he's really lovable mm-hmm. and like, uh, like endearing. And he's just like a pure soul. Um, and his name is Judd. And he talks, he's like, yeah, it's got the main accent, you know, the mm-hmm. main accent. It's so good. It's just, <laughs> it's just atmospheric. It's like just the way he talks. It's like, it's got all these great tropes. Um, and yeah, and uh, at one point, uh, uh, Lewis's daughter's cat, uh, church is run over by one of the trucks like inevitably it's gonna happen mm-hmm. um and uh, his daughter's really upset so he's like oh like i don't know what to do and Judd is like well there's an uh, indian burial ground up uh, up yonder <laughs> yeah take that cat and you go up there <laughs> yeah yeah he's like you shouldn't do it but if you need to do it it, it can be done and um so they bring the cat up to the indian burial ground um the pet cemetery it's a, it's a pet cemetery that was accidentally built on an indian burial ground that's mm-hmm. the whole explanation behind it um but it's not even the thing is, it's not even really technically an Indian burial ground. It's a it's a, a place that was so haunted that the Indians abandoned it and stopped burying people there because the soil went sour. That's that's a kind of like a weird kind of folk horror element to it because there's no it's mm. never explained uh, exactly what is in the the, the ground. But it's, yeah. no, it's nothing to do with ghosts or Indians or anything. In the book, it's kind of uh, implied that some kind of Wendigo, mm. you know, that kind of um, some kind of creature mm. that just kind of as part of the land. Um, even not necessarily in the ground itself, but basically, um, yeah, open this burial ground. It's like it's like arranged in like an ancient kind of like pagan ruin kind of yoke. Yeah, spiral, and um, they go up and they bury the cat there, and the cat returns to life like the next day. But it's, it's fucked up. It's like it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where the whole you know letting go thing comes into it. The cat comes back, and uh, it's not the same. It's not church. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not the cat. It's something else entirely. Um, like maybe it's the cat's body, but it's like the the, the spirit. Head, yeah, <laughs> the spirit is entirely. It's it's something demonic, something evil. Um, so like they brought, he's he's brought the cat back to, to uh to make his daughter happy, but everyone, like even the daughter knows that there's something seriously wrong. Mm-hmm. It's making things. It's kind of like rotting the environment. You know, bringing the dead back to life when some things are better dead. That's like mm-hmm. what a line in the film. Uh, sometimes dead is better. And that's like that's the whole theme of the film. And then it's like an it's an escalation basically of of that initial grief when the, the cat dies. Mm-hmm. So at first it's like the, it's just the dog that, that really experiences the grief. Then there's an escalation to a, a much more serious one, which I don't want to really spoil. But the, I think I know what happens. What the, the kid dies? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, but, yeah so yeah, the, then there's an escalation to the point where um, Lewis's son Gage, mm-hmm. like his, his baby baby son, gets run over by one of the trucks. And it is fucking. It's it's a horrifying scene because they show it. <laughs> mm. They show it like because you, you're like they're not they're not gonna do this. <laughs> Even though I've seen this before, I was like they're not gonna do this. 
You know? This baby gets fucked up. This baby gets fucking creamed by an 18-wheeler. Gonna close that road with a yeah. cat dying or a baby? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And obviously, uh, Lewis is, like, just torn up, and he can't forgive himself and stuff. And uh, so, like, he's 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 grasped by the, by the grief, the same grief that, you know, his little daughter had. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's in denial. And he knows that Gage is gone, and he can never bring him back. But at the same time, he's completely desperate. He's, mm-hmm. he's a father who's lost his son, and he has this thing up in... So, something lurking in the woods that can resolve mm-hmm. his uh, his grief in a really immediate and like superficial way, and so like that's where the the plot keeps moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another escalation at the end of the film. But yeah, ba- basically, Gage comes back to life, the little baby kid, and he's he's like a little Chucky kind of thing. Oh, fuck that! And he's like a zombie baby running around like uh, with a knife and stuff, and um, uh, h- havoc ensues essentially. Mm-hmm. But, like, the whole film is just, like, full of, like, little moments. There's, like, three or four, five, like, iconic moments that are, like, just good scares. Mm-hmm. Good scares, but also, like, they're, they're also using that whole theme of grief, which Lamb failed to really do. Yeah. So a lot of films fail to do the, the grief thing. Yeah. Like, this know? film is doing it without trying, really. Yeah. It's there. It's, it's, like it's based it, off the book. Like, yeah. Like, oh, just do the plot. <laughs> yeah, the blueprint is in the book already. And Stephen King, like, he didn't really try. with the, he, he wrote the books. And he wrote a lot of books. Yeah, <laughs> he was on a lot of cocaine. He, he, he used to, he used to write, write the books. He'd do a few uh, revisions, and then he'd leave it. And you can tell, because, like, there's a lot of half-hour stuff, and the books are way too long and stuff. Um, but, like, it's all there in the book. Mm. And the film knows it. The blueprint is there. And it's following it along. It's just doing its job really, really well. Mm. Uh, making a really good horror film uh, with loads of key moments, loads of cool scares, like a little bit of like funky uh, like makeup effects mm. and gore. And um, it's on the. I've wonder. I've heard nothing but good things about Pet Cemetery. So it's, it's a class. I film. will. I will. I will watch. It's it's really lived up to uh, my memory of it because I remember I watched it back in. when I first got Netflix like ten years ago. Mm. It used to be on Netflix then. They had and the remake back. on. Netflix. Did they? Yeah. yeah that, that, and this though as well. I encourage everyone not to watch the remake. The remake, they, they, um, I don't think Gage dies in the remake. They fuck up the whole, the, the ending of the film as well. Mm. It's completely arse backwards. Completely. It's like, it didn't look good either. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, even visually it doesn't look good either. Yeah. Like it's just grey. It's like what you're talking about yeah. with the, 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 the uh, Friday the 13th thing. What a weird thing that the 2000s is. Like, let's yeah. just make everything grey. Yeah, because this film is very, it's just a normal kind of like, Technicolor, mm. color palette, and then the 2019 one is just, just dour and gray, and it's like, it's not, it's like almost taking itself s- seriously, but it's still there's no tonal difference between, um, it and the original. It doesn't, yeah, make, it doesn't make That's any a, sense. Like Stephen King things need a bit of cheese, a bit of goof to them. They need a bit unless of, you're uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> even then, it's like it's very colorful from yeah. the shining. Um, but yeah, it, like it's not even cheese either. It's just a kind of. Uh, like a playfulness, mm. a pl- but playfulness in terms of genre. Yeah, like it's a yeah, horror film. Yeah. It's owning the fact that it's a horror film. Mm-hmm. And it's playing up to all those things. It's using tropes, utilizing tropes. It's it's, it's engaging. The, it's grabbing you by the balls, stroking the shaft. <laughs> it's great. It's a great film. Um, stimulating cinema. Fuck it up. I don't know why it's so Jeez, my ass, that metaphor. My ass is completely stuck to the chair. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get up. Glued. Oh fuck it up. Oh yeah, that yeah, sounds, watch it. That sounds very good. I will it. be, I will like be it. giving it a watch. So much films I gotta watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I, I know that like sometimes you struggle with um, like recommending films or whatever. 
But like, there really is just an endless well of films. <laughs> yeah, we, we yeah we we we've an endless. We well can keep going yeah. forever. This podcast could literally go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> there will always be at least a handful of films to talk about a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then there's ones you forget about, and then you're like, oh, yeah. mm. they come onto Netflix randomly, like Pet Cemetery. I completely forgot about this film, mm. and then I was surprised to my great surprise, my great pleasure as well. It reappeared recently, so I'm delighted. Yeah, it sounds good. It sounds very good. But Mark, is it as good as something like Pickpocket? Like Pickpocket? Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> just to space out the films, because I only have I only have one thing else on the docket. So yeah. Um, <laughs> or do you want to talk about do, which one? Do you talk, no, actually, we'll talk about Taxi Driver first. Yeah, that'll make more sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also watched Taxi Driver, which is also on Netflix, mm-hmm. which is a one of the greatest films ever made, as everyone kind of knows, and which is like hugely influential mm-hmm. across pretty much everything. TV, yeah. cinema. Everyone knows various scenes from Taxi Driver. It's you, literally shaped you know? history. Yeah, it has, yeah. It's like the whole, are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. You talking to me? Oh, the, you, you gotta talk- be talking to me. The cultural references from this fucking film. Everyone knows it. Even the fact that some guy tried to kill someone over this fucking film as well. Yeah, that's the thing. It was a... Uh, the, the, the the book is... Or, sorry, not the book. The film is actually based on the true story. Because... Uh, multiple true stories, actually. Because Paul Schrader, who wrote it, um, he's the the screenwriter behind the film, uh, he he drew on his own experiences. Apparently, he was basically Travis Bickle. That's like... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You kind of get that, like, sort of uh, simmering angst. Yeah. From, like, like, ever read his, like, Facebook posts and stuff? He's, like, a mad poster on the internet as well. Yeah, he's, like... He'll, like, call out his critics. He, he had, like, a uh, flame war with Mark Kermode, um over one of his films, The Canyons, recently. And... Um, He's just a legend of Paul Schrader, <laughs> but like he was, he, he was in like a fucking night drifter, basically, where he, he wasn't a taxi driver or anything. He'd just like sleep all day, and then he'd wake up, uh, in the, in the late evening, and he'd hop in his car, uh, and he'd have a bottle of whiskey with him, and he'd just be drinking and like driving around and watching the city, uh, New York City. What a fucking loser! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he'd um, what you call it? He'd go to like the porno theaters, which yeah. is something that uh, Travis Bickle does in the film. And he'd just be observing things, which is kind of weird because, like, he wasn't, like, some, like, absolute... He wasn't some, like, complete... He wasn't Travis Bickle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wasn't some complete ingrate. He was, like, mm. a, he was a film critic, Yeah, you know? And he at that stage, he'd already written a film as well. He was just doing this for some reason. And uh, he had to stop after a month because he got a stomach ulcer because, like, it's impossible to maintain that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he wasn't even eating or anything. But he also drew on the, the, uh, the diaries of a man called Arthur Bremer, I believe, who tried to assassinate uh, the 1972 uh, Democratic presidential nominee, uh, George Weber. Mm. Um, and he had the whole diary kind of laid out. And that's kind of the basis for Travis Bickle's voiceover narration, which mm-hmm. carries us through the film. It's kind of like a window into his his uh, view of the world. His fucked up grim view of everything. Yeah, yeah. He's real. He's uh, the lonely man, you know. He's like the fucking last man, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like waiting to die, basically. Because he's like an ex-Marine who's uh, been landed back in New York City. He's he, PTSD at the wazoo. Yeah, he was in Nam and like he, like Robert De Niro's performance. Like, like it's been said like a million Rage times. And but like, like, but like this is just incredible. Like, mm. you know, he can see like the, his his eyes are dead. You know, mm-hmm. his eyes are just pure dead the entire time. Like, there's something clearly wrong with this guy from like the first frame when you <laughs> see him. Something seriously wrong with him. But um, but yeah, like the whole uh, his worldview is just so fucked up because he's just seeing. He's talking about the scum and mm-hmm. like this. This city needs to be cleaned yeah. up. He's like Batman, but like he's like Batman, but like he's like impotent. You know, he mm-hmm. can't do anything. 
because he's yeah. just a loser. Yeah. <laughs> but um. Oh yeah, Travis Bickle is one of the darkest fucking guys. He's just an incel, like realistically. Oh, he is. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, he's just like a brooding kind of incel character. He's not even like, um, political or anything. No, you know? he's just pessimistic. There's no political aspect to it. Like at one point, he. Uh, the uh, Palantine character, who's like the presidential nominee in the, in the film, um, he gets into Bickle's car and uh, Bickle's like, oh yeah, I'm a big fan of yours, Mr. Palantine. Because he's trying to ride uh, Betsy, who's one of the, Palantine's aides. Mm. Um, he's like, yeah, I love your stuff, I'm going to vote for you. And uh, Palantine's like, oh, what's your uh, what's your beliefs, what's your policy beliefs now? And uh, Travis is just like, I don't really believe in anything, but I'm, I'm going to vote for you. Like, he, just, he doesn't know anything about mm. the world. Or, like, and he, he's just doesn't like, care. He either. doesn't care. He's just like, he's stuck, stuck in this... Uh, this box, this coffin. That's what's where Schrader. He's in the taxi. Yeah, he's in the t- he's in the pod. He's in the pod, <laughs> and um, he's stuck in there. And that that was Schrader's kind of metaphor that he I think he kind of uh, he lent into. Like he mentioned in a few interviews where his like uh, his process or his method for writing the script was to to establish this this like very basic premise, a skeleton of a of a story mm. of this taxi driver who goes around at night and like observes the scum and like the jet de- degenerate moral degeneration, New York City and stuff like that. Um, and he's stuck in like a coffin. Like you imagine the taxi is a coffin, mm. and he's going around as this kind of fucking uh, crypt keeper, just observing and like yeah, making and observations. People, people hop into the taxis, and he just doesn't say anything to them. Yeah, but he just observes them as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he's just he's just completely in his own world. Um, and it's like it's it's very dreamlike film as well. Mm. It goes back to Schrader's like whole transcendental mm. transcendental. Uh, kind of philosophy regarding film where it's it's like kind of it's very slow slow camera moving it's very steady very deliberate and uh, the film itself isn't slow at all it's actually quite uh, it's a nice clip to it yeah a lovely clip mm. it's very bright as well very like a uh, stimulating i've seen this know? film like years ago but i don't remember that much from it you should watch it again it's yeah very definitely, good. definitely it's a classic um but yeah, yeah the, the music is class and as well, yeah the score is, is very yeah. good yeah i think it's a uh, bernard herman did it um, he completed the score like a few hours before he died. Uh, it was like his, his final score. He's the guy who did the score for Citizen Kane and Vertigo. Man. And uh, Magnificent Ambersons and all that stuff. So like he was a, like iconic. Mm. Um, composer. Composer, yeah. <clears throat> and they got him for his last his last swan song. And you have like this trifecta. Like, it's like a quadruple effect of like, you know, Schrader, Scorsese, uh, De Niro. Yeah. Um, you know, this guy Herman. Uh, you got Jodie Foster as this, the, the She's young... Unreal in it, like she's incredible. She's thir- oh, she's yeah. thirteen years old when they filmed this. Like her and Natalie Portman are the two that I was thinking of for like unreal child yeah. performances. Like, like how did they, how did they do that? Like, yeah, how did they get away with that as well? The fact that she's actually thirteen. Also, Natalie Portman and Leon as well. How the fuck did you yeah. get away with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the signs were there. Harvey Keitel is also in this. I didn't notice. Oh my god, he is. He's the yeah, pimp. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Harvey Sport. Keitel. Haven't seen him in much. But yeah, he's a uh, he's also in this, and um, yeah, it's kind of a weird case of uh, of uh, life begetting art, begetting life. Where it's like the film is was uh, written with the inspiration of the guy who, who attempted to assassinate the um, the Democratic presidential nominee in seventy two. But then the film itself inspired uh, John Hen- Hen- John Hinckley Jr., who actually did carry out an attempted assass- assassination on a. Uh, Ronald Reagan in yeah. full, dressed up as Travis Bickle. Yep, having written like a diary in Travis Bickle style, all with the uh, the aims of uh, getting the attention of G- of uh, Jodie Foster. Yeah, in nineteen eighty one, and uh, I think we, we talked about that. Gas. We literally talked about that like fucking 
perfect perfect blue 81 yeah. episodes ago yeah. or something like that like yeah, yeah, so yeah. if you want to hear us talk about that more you can go back all the way to the start another look at that yeah um, it's just it's just funny how like how that happened you know yeah crazy just mirrored itself mm. literally you know diametric yeah. kind of thing yeah it's such a weird fucking fi- yeah i think that's just part of it just being such an iconic film like you know um yeah, I, I can't really say much on it because I literally don't remember anything about it. It's one of the it. greatest films ever made. I remember being like, Absolutely. yeah, that was really good. And then years later, I was like, I don't remember a fucking thing from the film. I need to watch it again. <laughs> oh, it's very, very good. Um, yeah. Is it's, it is a very grim, bleak film, though, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it is. It's not, It's not. Um, I don't know. It's not depressing, though, really. Yeah, it's, it's just not. kind of like, because it's, it's so confrontational. Yeah. It's like really, it's like gut punch kind of like cinema you know like yeah. it's, it's not it's being purposely kind of provocative in a way that like keeps you engaged mm-hmm. to the point where you're not like oh this is like so depressing or like because obviously he's a horrible person and he's horrible kind of like a, a horrible inner life yeah and he's really he's like narcissistic self-centered and there's, there's also the, the fact that he's like there's something seriously wrong with him as a character as like a you know there's something wrong with his head like he's mm-hmm. mentally ill you know clearly yeah and um, but there's like there's just something some kind of like a i don't know some virtue to the fact that of, of how honest the film is mm-hmm. and the fact that it's just like it's yeah. just it's just being really in your face like all times you have to kind of respect that you yeah know? i like i love the way he's, this is like this is one of those film bro films where people just like Missed idolize yeah, like yeah, yeah. him and it's like how like how do you watch this film and that's your takeaway point from it <laughs> yeah yeah like that's completely missing the point yeah it is. It is kind of a puzzle, though, because the end, like you know, the end of the film is mm-hmm. kind of unclear what exactly is going on. Yeah, it's not. You're not sure. It's kind of like a king of comedy thing. Yeah, it's like is this is this imagination? F- yeah, because he goes in and he uh, he takes out three of the pimps, and then there's like it just kind of cuts to um, it's this very dreamlike sequence where there's like newspaper articles being written about a hero mm-hmm. saving this young girl. Uh, and he's he comes across uh, Betsy, who's his, like unrequited love, and uh, she she has this look of respect on her face. And uh, he decides to just drive off instead of let mm-hmm. her get in the cab. Um, so it's, it seems like a kind of a power fantasy. But apparently, yeah. it's not. Schrader and Scorsese both said that it wasn't meant to be a dream, which is like the reverse of the King of Comedy thing, where it's kind of explicitly said mm-hmm. that 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 ending sequence is a dream. Yeah. So uh, it does kind of muddy up the ending or what the intention of what they're saying. You know. Yeah. But I think that's that's a that's a, a plus for the film mm-hmm. that there's just something to talk about at least. Interpretation. There's an interpretation there to be made. You can yeah. make multiple interpretations. That's always a good thing. The more interpretation, the better. Yeah, the more we can talk about it. Yeah. Satin, satin tango. There's a lot to talk about there. Satin tango. It's been seven hours long. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, yes. That's long. Started watching satin tango. Satin tango. Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. satin tango. Um, I bought this film on Blu-ray. And then I never touched it. <laughs> and then it came on to movie. And I was like, okay, right. Oh, it's on movie, is it? I'm going to like switch between the two formats of watching it on movie. And then watch it on my Blu-ray or whatever. Like switch it back and forth. So I have like, you know, I'll get I'll get through this fucking film. Um, so I'm three hours into Satin Tango. Because um, I'm not a crazy person. And I'm not watching this in one fucking sitting. <laughs> and this film is... Very slow, very slow. I'd imagine it is, and it is not the type of film that I could even put into like three hour chunks or something like that. Like I'm watching it, I'm just like, all right, that's an hour and a half. I'm gonna hit pause now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what's, it, what's the basic premise? 
so the basic premise is so far because again like like not a lot has <laughs> happened in three hours like a lot has happened but not a lot um basically there's like this farm there's like commun- communal farm village place in hungary and like soviet humans after falling and stuff like that wait when is this film set sorry when was this film made it was 70s no Oh, that was 70s, but I'm thinking, like, it was made after... Like, this plot in the film is that the Soviet Union has fallen. 94. 94, Jesus. It does not feel like a film that came from the 90s. It does not feel like that at all. It feels like a film that came from the 40s or 50s, like... (laughs) um, But, like, it's still, like, really beautifully shot. Well, not the 40s and 50s. It feels like it's from the 60s or 70s. But anyway, um, so the Soviet Union's fallen, and these people basically have nothing to do. <laughs> um, they're like, okay, we can either try and stay here. They seem to be like kind of um, criminals or something like that. And um, they, they're they like, okay, we're going to get swept up into the big cities, which we don't want, mm. or we can try and stay here. But then these two guys that they thought were dead for a year actually coming back and they seem to be kind of like religious is religious ish figures to them like very clearly they're like cult leaders and um we see them and they're talking to the police and the police are like okay we want you to you know get everyone out of this fucking place and then we're gonna arrest make arrests and stuff like that because they've obviously done something in the past because there's like a like the film opens up well, 12 minutes into the film, <laughs> when the factual plot starts, um, there's, like, uh, this guy is sleeping with this with this, uh, woman, and her husband comes in, and the guy's hiding, and he's like, okay, we're going to leave tonight, we're going to take everyone's money, and we're going to leave with Brannigan, whoever the fuck the, guy, the other guy is, and he's like, we're going to, the three of us are going to leave, I'm going to take everyone's money, and fuck the rest of them, like, they decided to stay here, but we're not, we're not, we're leaving, we got to go. And then when they find out that the two like cult religious figures come back, the the guy that was sleeping with the guy's wife kind of gets in, involved with them. But then when they all hear that these religious figures are coming, he literally turns to the guy that wanted to leave and he says like, you can't leave now. Like, you know, there's no leaving now. Now that Ergman is back, whatever the fuck his name is, mm. like there's no leaving. And your man's like, yeah, I know. We can't leave now because whatever holds that this guy has on this community He's got a fucking iron grip on them. (laughs) And he can just command and tell them what to do. So it seems to be a film about trying to find purpose or meaning in the world. When you had this like community and the community's completely fucking falling apart and there's nothing to fucking do in this shithole village that you're living in Mm -hmm. and you don't want to move into the city because you don't get swept up into that and you want to have like a sense of freedom but you can't um it's like 40 minutes of this film at one point was earlier on in the film we hear oh yeah the doctor never leaves the house and then for 40 minutes we just sit with the doctor and watch him <laughs> throughout his day and does he say anything like someone come, he like narrates because he like ri- like he sits at the window and he like stares at people and he writes and he like stares at binoculars of people and stuff like that and he knows kind of some of the people's secrets because he just sits there and watches them but like the whole time he's like drinking heavily he's obviously extremely unwell and he's just like 
Like that's the way he breathes and stuff like that. Yeah. And he gets up and we watch him fucking take an awkward piss and then he comes in, he fucking falls over. And then he's like, oh, I got no drink. And he leaves the house for the first time. <laughs> I got no drink. And he's pissing <laughs> rain and he's walking for fucking ages. And like, you're just sitting there watching it. But like, it is like slow. And like, yeah, it is boring. But it's like, here's this film, unediting, unedited, showing you this fucking depressing life that they all live. Mm. And you can see the hopelessness, the loss, the like complete pessimism in the in this village like this is like bleak like there's nothing to do here the opening of the film is like eight minutes of cows walking out of a farmhouse and walking through the village and walking off into the into the distance we don't see them anymore and like it is like establishing the setting that we're going to be in and it's like pissing rain it's dirty and it's mucky it's like gritty like black and white uh, footage and um again like it's mad slow and it's boring but that's the lives that these characters are living in <laughs> yeah, yeah like that's kind of part of the point so it's like realism is it yeah it's like mad realism mad mad realism um and like you only have to live the, like you know live with this film for seven years seven hours imagine not being <laughs> your life <laughs> yeah. is this is this fucking nothingness um oh my god yeah and so like the they go through the the cows walk through the village or whatever but I've heard at least on the Wikipedia page when I scrolled through because I was like did I miss something when I was like going through the plot <laughs> trying to get refreshes is um the that's like part of like the herd being led through the village is meant to be the religious figure who hasn't come like I'm three hours into this film and he hasn't shown up yet into the actual village they just keep talking about how he's coming oh, okay. um I'm like two I'm like two hours forty minutes in so like I'm assuming when he shows up there's gonna be more action happening because mm. at the moment it's just a lot of characters just talking about how shit their life is <laughs> yeah yeah but it is it's cool because i was like why can't this just be like a, a tv show is it not in segmented into episodes though it is it's segmented into parts so oh. you can like very easily like stop every stuff now mm. each chapter isn't you know they're not all like half an hour long the, the range in terms of length yeah. like one was like 20 minutes long and then the next one was fucking 40 minutes that this doctor fucking living his shit life. Or it was even longer than that. It was nearly 50 minutes or an hour. Um, so like, they're not, the chapters aren't clean. So I was yeah. like, okay, so whatever about, it can't be done as a TV show in that sense. But like, you know, you can make it like a seven hour TV show fairly easily. But I think that if you were to watch this as a TV show, it would be fucking dog shit. <laughs> like imagine watching it sitting down on a fucking, like, you know, Tuesday when Satin Tango comes on the TV and you watch... <laughs> <laughs> Satin Tango's yeah. on, lads. Like, episode, this, like, the third episode, Satin Tango comes on and it's just it's just a guy in a fucking house for the entire episode. Yeah, and yeah. And it's been a week since you've seen, like, the last episode. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, that ties into last week. Yeah. <laughs> so you move that coffee cup. Like, so, like, that's like, that's the reason why they, this can only exist as a film. Yeah, uh, as like and like even watching it, I feel bad breaking it into parts, but it is like the only way that I'm realistically gonna watch a film of this length. Um, and there is intermissions as well. Like two hours into the film, it comes up with like intermission. So obviously, if you're watching this in, in a fucking theater, you'd leave for like half an hour or whatever, and then you sit mm. back down and you watch the next two hours or whatever. So it take twelve hours to watch. Yeah, it probably takes fucking ages to watch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but 
but it's good so far. It is. It genuinely is very good so far. Mm. It's based on a book. It is a book, yeah. But the book's only 300 pages. That's the gas <laughs> thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the book's only 300 pages. Uh, but, like, there is, like, a, there's a real novelistic quality to this film. Mm. Like, when when you're watching, you're like, yeah, I can, it, it is like, I am, like, I'm seeing the words of the page on the screen, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like, I can see, I'm re- I can read the description of how it was, that was translated onto film. Mm. Just by like looking at the at the screen, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. If that makes any sense, the no- yeah, novelistic style, mm. too, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That sounds interesting. It sounds very long, though. I don't it's know. Seven hours. It's over seven hours. Like it's, it's seven twenty. It's, it's on movie. Yeah. Mm. Seven hours and twenty minutes. Yeah, oh my God. yeah. That's something to stick on the bucket list, though. It is, and like you know, like I watched this over like two, three days, and I'm like halfway through it. So like, yeah, you know, it's not that bad. And like, there is a point where I will get to like once I get to like you know two and a half hours. Like I'm just gonna sit down and watch that in one fucking go. Then you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. once I'm towards the end, I will just like fucking bookend and try and like get as much in as I can because uh-huh, yeah. at the moment I'm like watching an hour an hour and a half you know mm, 40 yeah. minutes or whatever <coughs> yeah no it's good to good to have a look at though uh, did you ever get around to watching Decalogue no not even no that's I, 10 hours isn't it that's 10 hours but that is a TV show like that yeah. is like pure stick on an episode watch it for an hour uh, and then done but like Satin Tango yeah that's a whole different Satin Tango game. is somehow less fucking grim than Decalogue like Decalogue really? like I wasn't Dec- each episode of Decalogue I'm like Jesus that was so fucking depressing <laughs> 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 I was like for fuck's sake like like yeah. I think like the second or third one a child dies at the start, at the end of it and like that's like the message is like um, about like having false gods yeah. and like it's like there's a religious thing going on there. Like this was God basically just taking your child away, and like re- like technology can't resolve that. And uh, the dad ends up going at the end to like church and like praying, and that's how the fucking TV show ends. I'm like, but that's like <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to sit down and watch that. Like, yeah, I don't understand how. Yeah, why would you want to watch that? Yeah, you it's know? just fucking things are depressing. Real life is depressing enough. Why would you watch? Like, a, uh, you know, like a Polish depression communist yeah. film. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. These people, they have a whole different, you know, fucking a whole strength of, of depression yeah. over there. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> a lot stronger over there. They, they're like having like 5D depression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be good to whip out though, you know. Yeah, I watched Satan Tango the weekend. Yeah. Uh, Not the flex. Work in smoking area on your own. Yeah, watch that. Do you watch Satan Tango there? <laughs> <laughs> reading a poetry book or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's reading oh. reading the book. Yeah, I just watched the film there. Yeah, you know, you know, it's actually one of those rare cases where the movie's actually better than the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should give it a watch, man. Yeah, it's only seven <laughs> hours, you know, whatever. Uh, nice light Sunday watch, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easter. Yeah, but it's like one of those cases where, like, it is like. Like even to watch it in four hour chunks, imagine watching two four hour four hour films in a day. Oh man, no, no way. Yeah, man, what is it, man? <laughs> man, no man. way. <laughs> no way, man. Sad and go, man. No way. Too <laughs> <laughs> <Be> depressing. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, yeah, four. Yeah, two four. Like I, I, I can't even muster the. I can't even muster a two-hour film. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're sitting there complaining about two-and-a-half-hour films. Oh, my God. Yeah, but I think I feel like uh, it would call to me at some point mm. to have a look at it, at least. And it's also like you could watch it more because like, if you're not yeah, staring yeah. at the screen, you're not really missing that much. Like, yeah, <laughs> plus if you watch it all the way through, then like by the time it ends, you're like, 
night until time to talk <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, we got an hour of work left to do. <laughs> oh, jeez. We go for a break? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also had a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> We're back from the break. I also had a look at this uh, film called Pickpocket. Pickpocket. Pickpocket, which is a kind of a supplementary predecessor to Taxi Driver, which is why I watched it. Because it's one of Paul Schrader's favorite films. Mm-hmm. And of course, we love Paul Schrader here. And um, yeah, Pickpocket is this film by Robert Bresson. What a name. So he's a really famous. Wait, Bresson, yeah. I think I've heard of Bresson. Yeah, he's a really famous French director mm. back in the 50s ish, around yeah, that, that yeah. period. Very famous guy. Um, Pickpocket is one of his regards, one of his best films. And um, Schrader would have drawn a lot on his transcendental style, you know, or in terms of, or Schrader would have drawn his formulation of transcendental theory of cinema from uh, Bresson mm. and his kind of approach. 75 minutes, man. This is going on the watch list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very short. It's lovely and short. Um, but yeah, he said that he went to, or Schrader said there was like a, a life-changing experience. There was like a showing of Pickpocket on in his local cinema and uh, he went to go see it as like a film critic mm-hmm. the, uh, when he was, I think he was working for the LA Times or something, something like that. And it was the first time when um, he thought that there was like a future for him in film beyond just like writing. I was like, he, oh, it's like an inspiration. Yeah, an inspiration to actually, you know, take up, mm. take up the sword, you know, start writing, start, start writing, start directing stuff like that. That's when he started actually getting involved in the creative process and like actually making stuff rather than just critiquing it. And uh, it's a story about this guy who's a pickpocket in Paris, mm. and um, his name is Michel, and uh, <laughs> Michel, Michel, and uh, he has this uh, what's his name? He has a friend who is called. He has a friend called Jacques. Oh, Jacques. A friend called Jacques, and his mate is his mate is Jacques, and he's uh, also there. But basically, <laughs> he's also there. He's also there, and then there's Jean, who's a uh, who's a uh, kind of his mas kind of carer basically mm. he's like her, her servant because his man's really sick but he goes around basically picking pockets and it's it kind of it's draw, draws on uh, Dostoevsky like notes from the underground kind of stuff mm. where it's this guy who is like completely pathetic loser uh, kind of like uh, the fucking dregs of society kind of thing like he's just he's the, he's the loser mm-hmm. he's the, the la- like the last man the lonely man of God and um, he was basically nothing um, in front of him and so he turns to crime uh, and he has like all these justifications and stuff, and it's, w- it's one of those films where the plot is not really that important, mm. you know. In the same kind of way that we would have talked about uh, Tokyo Story, uh, Ozu's, which is Ozu was another huge influence on Schrader, where uh, Tokyo Story doesn't really like, the plot isn't very uh, essential. It's not really mm-hmm. you know imp- that important. It's a lot of this, more so the style of the film. Mm. Pickpocket is very very similar. It's the style of the film is is kind of. Um, in equal rank to what is actually happening in the story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically just him going around pickpocketing people um, and making money uh, and living in this little fucking bedsit. Um, kind of Kafka-esque as well. It sounds Kafka-esque. Mm. Even like taxi driver and stuff like that is very Kafka-esque. Yeah, definitely, <clears throat> yeah. It's the same the same thread as well. The same, um, like very bare bones premise is mm. very, very similar to Taxi Driver. Uh where you just have this voyeuristic um, narration as well, because he has the diary as well, as well. It's similar to Travis Bickle, where he's, he's, he's narrating his, his thoughts, his inner thoughts, and so, sort of explaining the story as it goes along. Um, it's just him kind of like grappling with moral, moral justifications for what he's doing, and uh, kind of considering his place in, in the world, and considering 
making observations about uh, the people around him, similar to to Dwight Bicklewood, mm-hmm. um, and he gets into like uh, debates and arguments. So he gets caught very early on on the film by one, by a police inspector who lets him go because there isn't enough evidence. But like he's always being chased by this inspector because he, yeah, he knows yeah. that there's something off. Um, and they have a debate one time in the bar, and he's talking about, um, or Michelle is talking about how there are some people. Uh, he has this theory where. Uh, there are some people who are supermen who who are through like genius or virtue or whatever should be allowed to basically break the laws or like um, should be allowed to uh, do their own thing basically without mm-hmm. being interfered with by like you know society and stuff like that um, and that's just his like inner justification for what he's doing like, mm-hmm. he's he's very like kind of enclosed mentally uh, and spiritually it's only really a bit, it's all a means to an end there's no real uh, redemption. There's no real direction that he's moving in at all, um, and all the while uh, his ma is dying, and Jean is kind of like uh, having a kind of fling with uh, Jacques. Jacques is like he's very he's like, oh, this is uh, Michelle. You need to fucking wise up. Mm-hmm. You know, get out of that game. Pickpocketing is for chumps. You're gonna get caught, and you're gonna get done. You know, you're gonna go behind bars, and that's what happens in the end of the film. Mm-hmm. He gets done, um, and uh, Jacques is fucked off. And uh, Peace, left, bro. <laughs> left a pregnant Jean uh, or Jean or whatever, um, and she's kind of hopeless as well. And in their hopelessness, Jean and Michelle find a kind of some kind of synthesis, f- manage to synthesize some kind of uh, meaning mm, in their companionship. own yeah, some kind of companionship, you know, between the bars, mm-hmm. literally between the bars, because he's in prison now. By the end of the film, he's in prison and he's fucked and. Uh, they have a very tender scene. It's quite a famous scene at the end of the film, which is replicated in various ways in in, uh, in films that are inspired by this and inspired by Bresson in general, where uh, they're just kind of... Uh, it's like nuzzling. It's not even kissing. They're mm-hmm. just kind of cuddling between the bars. Uh-huh. And it lasts for like 30, 30 seconds, like a minute. But it's it's a it's an interesting film. It's, it sounds... It, like it's an interesting stylistic kind of um, piece to look at. Have you ever seen Bicycle Thieves? Yeah, maybe we watched it or watched a bit of it. Yeah, it sounds kind of like Bicycle Thieves as well, that kind of neo-realist kind of... Neo-realism is definitely, yeah, yeah probably fall into that. Because the, um, it is, it's very realistic, but then you still have the the the, uh, the, the voiceover. It is, yeah. there's also a very clear perspective. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're sitting in Michelle's shoes and you're seeing the world from his point of view. And he's this really pathetic, immoral character. Who basically only gets literally only gets by by ripping other people off mm-hmm. by stealing by by thieving. He's a thief. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's same, a pickpocket. He's a pickpocket. And uh, but at the same time, you feel bad. Yeah, you feel bad for him because you you sympathize him because you are literally seeing his perspective, mm-hmm. and you're always going to sympathize with the perspective you're being shown. Yeah, or the perspective you're uh, you're you're uh, exposed to, or whatever you know. So at the same time, you're always like, ah, oh, Michelle, he is a bad guy. Like if this guy showed up. In the pub, he sat down beside you. You'd be like, "Get this guy away from me," because you can just yeah. tell he's like it's a very good performance as well. It's a slimy old cunt. He's a he? slimy bastard, and he's just like even just like his face, like just the way it's very well acted. Like mm. he just has this kind of shiftiness about him, and um, untrustworthy. Yeah, but it's similar to Bickle. It's a kind of thing where, um, he's representing something that isn't uh, isn't reality. No, like that is int- that is reality almost. That's mm. like a really pure reality where there's you know, there's someone like that or something like that inside everybody. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are just like that in general. You know? Yeah. There are a lot of people <clears> like that. Yeah. And like, obviously you forget about them. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of there. Yeah. They're always there. 
you know, always they always watching. <laughs> always will be there. They're just kind of lurking, and they have an interesting way of seeing the world. Mm -hmm. But the style is the main thing, I think. Just the, the kind of uh, lulling you into this perspective, and um, just it's it's like a very very deliberate film, very slow camera movements, like very narrow aspect ratio. It's like one to one kind of thing. Um, give it a go. Yeah, should I'll should, should have a look. I got bleeding pickpocketed before. Did you? Oh yeah, yeah you did. Yeah, <laughs> brought my fucking wallet and I chased after him and <laughs> handed it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I literally ran up. Like, didn't chase like they pickpocketed me, and I chased after them, but they didn't see me chasing them. And then I came up to them, and was like, "Sorry, did you say? Did you find a wallet anywhere?" And they just handed me back all my cards and everything. <laughs> it's like, "Oh, so thanks very much." Run out the Revolut. Red, run out the Revolut because that had scum. tap on it. Scum. So it just froze that. So you just yeah, oh yeah, I'll just the one like, the one card I could just immediately yeah cancel. immediately just froze <laughs> cancelled. I had literally by the time I got back to Gay's Bar, I had ordered myself a new Revolut <laughs> card. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, idiots, idiots. Yep. They tried to fucking use the card the next day. Pricks. <laughs> scum. Absolute scum. Yeah, pickpockets are the lowest of the low. But at the same time, a lot of the films about the sociological. It's like, it's the same with Taxi Driver. It's a, there's a huge sociological aspect to it. Mm. Like, Taxi Driver comes out of the milieu of 1970s New York, which is yeah. obviously a shithole. And just the 1970s in general, you know, it's got the kind of mood of uh, Every everything being fucked. <laughs> yeah, they all have this kind of the same vibe. Um, But, like, they still made... Like, you know the way they, they, they'd have that vibe? That was a 70s vibe, but, mm -hmm. like, they all seem to be tackling... The films tackled the issues as they kind of appeared, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's like, weird. Like, Taxi Driver was, you know, obviously, you had the mood and the vibe, but then you also have... It was based on a real assassination attempt that did actually take place in 1972. Whereas you wouldn't really have that today. If something like that happened now, it would either be... a controversy it would, about that, I feel yeah, like. It would either be... It wouldn't be allowed to be made, because they just... Not as in, like, it would be censored, but they just... Studios wouldn't want to kind of get involved in it, or it would just be it'd be done really badly, you know. Yeah, man. Could you imagine a film where, like, you're, it turns out at the very end that you're following some that was part of the January sixth? Yeah, like that's what and I'm thinking just of. Be fucking cringe. That's what I'm thinking of. Because like that's something that you, I feel like, I feel like if that happened in the seventies, they would have made loads of really interesting films mm. re revolving around it or related to, like maybe the reasons behind it or like people involved or something like that. But you can't do that now because uh, it just wouldn't be made well. It'd just be made very bluntly. Yeah, it would just be shit, basically. Yeah, just be shit. Yeah, so it's kind of weird. It is. But yeah, but Pitpock is in that lineage anyway. Sounds so. good. And like Bress on, I've heard of him before. So. Yeah, yeah. He's the name. <laughs> you got to tick off that, <laughs> that checkbox. Go it out and someone else is another one of them from that era. Goddard. Yeah, Goddard. I've and never uh, seen a Goddard film, have you? No, another boy. No. I have to watch him and um, Fassbender. Fosman is the other one. Yeah. He's got a mad long is it a TV show that he did or something though? Ooh, Man on the Wires or it's not something on the wire, something on the wire. Something like that. Yeah. That's like that's mad long, but I'm pretty sure that is a TV show, so Yeah, he did loads of stuff. He did loads of stuff. Yeah. He was like a drug addict. Never watched overdosed. anything of it. Yeah, but we'll we'll get around to that. But yeah, I also watched a film called First Reformed. Which I've seen part of. Which you've seen part of. Because I knocked this on with my family. During lockdown number one, my family asked, can we please turn this off? Because this is too depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can really see how... I can really just sympathize with that view, yeah. Yeah. It is a really... Especially during lockdown one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to spoil the film, but like the f the point where up to the... Where the spoilers kind of get involved is is really depressing. Because mm -hmm. I watched this last night, in the middle of the night. Because I was on night Peak shift. Time. I was just like, I went on my break and I was like, this that was such a depressing film. I was only an hour in and I was like, this is like, it was making me think and what I just didn't want to think about what <laughs> it was making me think about, you know. 
Jeez, the like, world really is fucked, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is filmed by Paul Schrader, directed this time by Paul Schrader. It's part of my tr- my Paul Schrader uh, trifecta that, yeah, that I decided to do. <laughs> uh, I, I just love that guy. And um, first reformed 2017 film uh, starring Ethan Hawke mm. as uh, this guy called Ernst Toller, who is a pastor at a uh, a Protestant pastor at a, at a, a mission in um, somewhere in like fucking northeastern US. And uh, it's about him basically dealing with a crisis of faith, which is always really uh, enthralling mm-hmm. and uh, uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a it is it's a really it's everything that we've talked about, like in, with regard to, like pickpocket and taxi driver. Like this is like really strangely a companion piece to taxi driver. Mm. Like I would I would say they're basically part of like not the same universe, the extended fucking Travis <laughs> Spickle universe, yeah, you know, the straighter universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, they are so similar, very similar films. Even like Mishima as well, like yeah. similar thing there as well. Oh, even yeah, Mishima is also like, they're it's not similar because it's Mishima is very like specific, mm-hmm. very individualist film or like very um, unique. Um, <clears throat> but there are themes that just yeah. recur through Schrader's work, you know. Sad men doing things. Yeah, doing crazy <laughs> yeah. things that don't make any sense. Um, yeah, this is base. This is like if if Travis Bickle was a priest. This is what First Reformed is basically. Yeah, do you feel like it's just like Schrader getting older and like having basically the same viewpoint and everything, but he's just like ah, more old. Um, yeah, maybe because it really depends how you interpret this film. Because mm-hmm. the ending of this film is really up in the air. Because you know the way we were just talking about how Taxi Driver ends on a. Ambiguous kind of note. I, on yeah. a, a, an ambiguous note that you could interpret as a dream. And I think a lot of people would interpret it as a dream. But then it, it maybe it isn't a dream at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is part of the plot. Um, this film is even more ambiguous, I think. But a lot of people seem to think it's more straightforward. But mm-hmm. I think... I was just reading different like uh, interpretations of it, different kind of uh, write-ups on the film. Uh, the ending can either be read as like an embrace of Christianity, of... Like, of uh, of a of kind, hope, of, a, kind a, of a, yeah, a hopeful note or like a submission to being saved, mm-hmm. of, of set, of of accepting love over uh, over uh, resentment, or mm-hmm. or it can be read the exact opposite way, where it, in a kind of um, insane, like jihadist kind of way, Jesus. which is what's the most interesting part about mm-hmm. the film, um, where, where, like where the film stops kind of be stops kind of being depressing and starts kind of being like really confrontational in the way the taxi driver is mm. where it's morbid but it's also like it's like really it's like giving you a loaf at the same time you know yeah well, even like <clears throat> from what you're saying makes me now think what does first reformed actually mean first reformed is the name of the church ah uh, okay right. so it's the name of the the protestant ministry it's like a but is that tied into the theme of the not really no okay, it's, yeah. i think it's just the name of the church yeah but schrader himself is a calvinist like he was brought up in the calvinist faith Oh, I fucking hate that, bro. Yeah, yeah. So there are all those mad guys who like hating music and like fucking dancing and, dancing and everything. And stuff, yeah, Cromwell. Remember, remember when he banned Christmas? Mm-hmm. That's that's Calvinism, yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, but he he actually wasn't allowed to watch any films until he was um, 21. Mad. So he never watched the film until he was 21 years old. And then within about six or seven years, he'd written Taxi Driver, and he was one of the like the <laughs> the most famous screenwriters on earth. Oh Jesus! What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, I had fucking years had started in this country. Yeah, yeah. Like, but that, I think that really kind of informs his uh, worldview. Mm. 
Oh Jesus! Now that you said that he's a cal- that he was a Calvinist, that makes so much sense why his yeah. films are like that. I think he still is. I don't think he's like. I think he's left the church, or he's not practicing, but he's still like a. He considers himself a cal- like a spiritual Calvinist or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, he believes in God anyway. But uh, yeah, this film really shows that up. It's, it's, I think it's he, he described it as a film that he'd been running away from for for thirty or forty years because, mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of makes me interpret the film in the more kind of extreme mm-hmm. uh, way that I was talking about earlier rather than as like a, a hopeful oh, yeah. kind of note but like you have to watch you really have to watch the film I think um, I've heard it's very very good like the ending it's, I think it's one of the best films of the century like honestly one of the really? best yeah yeah Jesus one of the best films I've seen like made after 2000 like very yeah, I've insanely heard, good I've heard a lot of people say that as well so it, that's it's insanely good yeah Ethan Hawke is incredible really really good yeah know? I've heard he's f- fantastic he knocks out the park but uh yeah it's about this protestant minister and he's like he he has a crisis of faith for various different reasons he's like this uh he's stationed out in this fucking kind of uh it's basically a glorified souvenir shop it is Mm -hmm. a church but like no one really goes there it's only there it's like hundreds of years old and he's his his main kind of uh responsibilities are like giving tour guides and like selling merch in the shop and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and it's just kind of like a historical piece which is I think a kind of a metaphor for the church in general mm-hmm. the institutions of the church and um, how they're not really like the actual practicing the practice of spirituality or of like community and stuff like that isn't really don't the thing churches anymore. yeah it isn't really the thing that churches are there for anymore it's just kind of as like a, a reminder of what was there mm-hmm. you know and they sell they just sell Especially goods in Ireland <laughs> yeah yeah in Ireland a lot of places um, and he has a he has he has a, a crisis when this guy, one of his, uh, what would you call it, his constituents, like one of the people in his church, um, is, her name one is the sheep. Yeah, one of the yeah one of the sheeple <laughs> who attends this his uh, his scam service every Sunday. Uh, her name is Mary, played by Amanda Seyfried. Yes, um, and she is also really good in this. She's not as good as Ethan Hawke, but she's quite good. Uh, and her husband is having like a real bad time. He's all fucked up. Mary is pregnant. And uh, he's a he's this radical. The husband is this radical environmentalist, this radical activist, who uh, is basically having some kind of mental breakdown because he's completely fatalist. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's an anti-natalist in like the vein of Rust Cole, mm. true detective kind of thing. Yeah, it's like I can't bring a, a child into this world. That's that's where my family were like, can we? Ple-? We were yeah, like, yeah. We were like twenty minutes in their, into their conversation, and my mom and dad were like, can we please turn this off? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so heavy. It's so depressing. Um. Yeah, because he's, like, he's like, like there's a lot of truth to what he's saying. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, like a lot of what he says is completely like you can understand why you think mm-hmm. that. Um, and he's he's like, oh, I, I don't want to bring a child into this world where like uh, all these horrible things are happening. Is he's because he's like thinking in terms of the environment and like you know things will be underwater, like uh, famine, drought, war, refugees, all that stuff. And um, he's like, oh, um, uh, you know, uh, thirty three. Uh, Ethan Hawke's like what? Like, Thirty three. That's all my what my uh, my child would be in twenty fifty. Um, you know they'd be in the middle of this storm, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, what's about to happen? I think that's really that's a, also I think that's a little uh, reference to because uh, this is a very Christian film. So thirty three mm-hmm. is a really important number in you know age anyway mm-hmm. in Christianity. You know, Jesus was thirty three. Oh, what's he? That kind of thing. Oh, okay. yeah, so. But um, good thing that you watched a religious film over the over the weekend. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. This is, is, is yeah. This is my Easter theme. Yeah, yeah that's why I watched it. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, he doesn't want to bring Charles into this world. And he's really, but like, it's not just the child. It's kind of like a, it's an, a culmination of factors that just, and the, the, the pregnancy has kind of pushed him over the edge where he's, 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 uh, he's really struggling. And he, him and Ethan Hawke have this, uh, this long conversation and uh, it goes on for ages and it really challenges his faith because mm-hmm. he's because your man the activist is bringing up a lot of great points he's making some points he's making a lot of decent points mm-hmm. and it's like it's hard for Eden Hawk to refute them um, and he also relates the story about how uh, like his guilt his kind of backstory about how he he, he used to be like a military chaplain his, mm-hmm. his whole family he came from like a military family and uh, his son when his son came, came of age he uh, encouraged him to enlist in the army uh, and within yeah, within a year he died in Iraq <clears throat> in a in an inju- unjustifiable war of like aggression and mm-hmm. terror, um, and that he could never forgive himself for this. And like that's like his wife left him and all this stuff. And he's like, oh, like the the, the terror that you feel bringing a, ch- a life into this world will never be equal to the terror, the the horror I live with every day having mm-hmm. taken a life out of it. Like the the guilt he feels. So that's like heavy stuff, heavy heavy stuff. That's in the first half an hour. <laughs> so you're like, <laughs> I was like, this is so like draining to watch and it's like one for one aspect ratio it's yeah, like yeah yeah it's, it feels claustrophobic like you're really in there with those characters yeah 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 it's like it's really narrow uh aspect ratio um because just kind of it's really focusing on the characters like mm-hmm. the trader gave that reason he just wanted you get more of the of the actor in the shot when you have like a more yeah when uh, that's all you can see a more yeah a more boxy kind of aspect ratio and um it draws on all the same kind of a transcendental kind of stylistic motifs that we've been talking about before as well. It's like very slow, steady camera movements. Uh, there's not a lot of like m- um, kind of activity happening mm-hmm. in from scene to scene. Um, it's very, very deliberate, kind of dreamlike quality to it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, then there's a there's a horrible scene where the the husband basically commits suicide, and that's like the inciting incident. That's where things kind of start to develop yeah or get worse they got they got a lot worse it gets even more depressing because uh yeah your man the husband uh tries to meet up with the pastor and um he's like i'll oh, meet me at this trail or whatever and Ethan hawks arri- arrives at the at the trail and your man's blowing his head off and just like shot himself uh and he has this thing where he, he uh he wants his ashes scattered at the this toxic waste dump as like kind of like a, a revenge mm-hmm. like a shake of the fist at the man um and all the while, Ethan Hawke is is like a, an alcoholic. Yeah, who's like obviously hugely guilted by what happened to his son and his breakup of his marriage. He's very isolated. Um, you also have the voyeuristic voiceover because mm-hmm. the film starts. The framing device is a is a, a diary, a diary that he's writing, and he's he says he's going to write this diary for twelve months, uh, and then he'll burn it, rip it up. He's, the implication is that he doesn't uh, intend to live that long mm-hmm. because he has a. It's not confirmed, but he has some kind of stomach mm-hmm. uh, cancer or something like that. Something serious around his stomach, and he's dying of something. Um, so it's everything. The, the story is kind of explained, or the gaps are filled in through this voiceover that mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke is kind of expounding through every scene, uh, in between the scenes and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, he's having a real. Ethan Hawke's having a real bad time, mm. and um, he's an alcoholic and he's really struggling, and <laughs> <laughs> not having a good time. Not having a good time, but. Uh, there's this scene where um, he's so he's like developed a, a relationship with Mary, Amanda Seyfried's character, and they're clearing out uh, the husband's stuff, and they find a box, and they open the box, and there is this jacket, which is full of plastic explosives and dynamite. Oh shit! Did you get to that point? No. Yeah. So that's where the film kind of starts, like moving, moving, moving quite a bit quicker. 
Um, I won't spoil the film, but like, there's like it, that's sort of it stops being extreme depressing. Just, there is more of like a gut punch kind of element to it for the latter half of mm-hmm. the film. Um, and he, he is from that point on, he's like he's in the middle of a crisis, so he's at a vulnerable point in terms of his fate. And now he's trying to grapple with the morality of uh, of what this guy who died, what he he was trying to do. He mm-hmm. seemed like a really good guy. He seemed like a nice guy. He seemed like he had good intentions, but like at the same time, he's like uh, he, he can se- be a terrorist. He seemed to uh, yeah, he seemed to intend to blow himself up and kill people um, in the name of his uh, of his cause of his cause. Yeah, there's this whole kind of discourse about uh, despair and hope. Uh, Ethan Hawke has these, these lines about. Um, how despair, how wisdom is holding to completely um, uh, incompatible ideas in your head, and just hope and despair to completely are incompatible, mm. are compatibly incompatible. Yeah, in yeah. Way. Like you have to have one with it. You can't have one without the other. You have to have the two of them. And then maybe this guy had fallen into just a pit of despair and had forgotten, I just abandoned hope, abandoned all hope, and he, you know, obviously killed himself because mm. of that. Uh, there's loads of other stuff in the film as well. Uh, there's a lot of scripture, obviously, because it's a very religious film. Um, and as the film gets on, um, especially beyond that point where they discovered the explosives, the the quotations become more and more political. Oh, become, really? That's, yeah, that's interesting. Increasingly on the nose political. Yeah. Um, like a lot of stuff about uh, destroying the destroyers of the earth. Like that's an actual line, for, I think, from Revelations. And there's other stuff about uh, the rich and um, like vengeance and stuff. Mm. Like bloody kind of Old Testament vibes. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of that in Satan Tango as well where like another, where one character says to another one, "You don't need to read Genesis. You need to start reading Revelations from where you, from where you are in your life." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to read Revelations, mm. bro. That's a real dunk. But um, yeah, and um, yeah, all the quotations are like get increasingly political, like kind of very on the nose. And you can see that he is being he is Ethan Hawke's character is being pushed to the point where he's not. He, he's a completely different character to the environmentalist guy. But he's being pushed to a point where he's clearly like he's he might break. There's something seriously wrong, mm. or he might just fall into this pit of despair. And uh, they kind of like linger on that that kind of uh, cliff edge for quite a long time. Um, <clears throat> in the in the midst of all this, he's also uh, learning more about like the background of his church. Yeah, because <clears throat> uh, the guy, the environment, the environmentalist, he was researching. He was doing a lot of research into this company, which is uh, which kind of a stand-in for like the Amazonian fucking um, the people who do the wood chopping down mm-hmm. there even like stuff like amazon and like uh those huge tech companies which use like the data centers and stuff but there's a there's a stand-in company in this film uh which sort of stands in for all that stuff mm-hmm. which like rips up the environment destroys the environment um, and Ethan Hawke finds out that this is somehow uh that they're like one of the top donors for his church and he has a confrontational moment with his uh with like his his big his boss basically mm-hmm. which he was played by a uh, little tie-in with last week's uh Ramble in Madagascar. Uh, the guy who voiced Maurice in Madagascar is the head pastor in this film. That is hilarious. Cedric the Entertainer. <laughs> He's very good as well. Cedric the Entertainer. Um, I could just see Maurice. Yeah, <laughs> I could just hear Maurice like, just yelling at Julian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they have this really intense conversation. And um, uh, your man... The head pastor's name is Jeffers, I think, and he's like, he's like, uh, he's talking to Ethan Hawke. He's like, "You're always in the garden. You're, you're Jesus. Uh, Jesus left the garden. Jesus wasn't just oh, like the the suffering in the the garden of Geth Gethsemane or whatever, like yeah. where you just you where Jesus is, is considering. That's where he starts sweating blood. Yeah, where he's considering the fact he's about to be betrayed and ex- accepting his fate, basically. Uh, and he's talking. He's saying to Ethan Hawke, "You're always in the garden. You're always suffering. You you, you can't get out of this." 
this rut you're in, like you need help, you need to go to rehab and all this stuff. And like if if, if Eden Hawk is in the garden, then Jeffers is someone who's always in like the marketplace, you know, mm-hmm. like cavorting with like the uh, uh He's one of the fucking this the Pharisees. The Pharisees or, yeah, in the yeah. temple, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pharisees, that's it. So, so it, like there's also this kind of like old tradition of like the radical uh Protestant uh like individualist preacher who's like like they have a huge tradition in that kind of thing where like mm-hmm. loads of like socialist Christian leaders would have been in the vein of Ethan Hawke's character where they're just kind of like uh interpreting the Bible as a as an individualist thing for the person mm-hmm. seeing it through like a like a democratic lens. And so you have that tension in the film as well. Uh, and then it all leads up to this big kind of standoff point where um, I just don't want to spoil the film, but like mm-hmm. there is a confrontation. There is a huge, yeah. It gets that it's it, it turns into taxi driver basically at the end of the film. Oh yeah, I kind of expected that. <laughs> Once you said, well, like it, it a... doesn't uh, not in, like the way like Travis Bickle goes mm-hmm. on the fucking shooting rampage. Yeah, but in the sense that it like there's, there's a, huge, a mission to be done. There's something happening in the film where it's not just trotting along and like thinking about scripture and like about how mm-hmm. the world is going to be underwater and stuff like that. Like something. Uh, a lot more like uh, I don't en- engaging is yeah. happening, way more engaging, um, and he's like he's clearly conflicted in, a, in a, a much more kind of interesting way. And there are, there's a dream sequence and stuff like that, mm. um, and then there's like he's kind of has like outer body experiences as his his, his, uh, his uh, sickness is taking hold, mm. and uh, it's just way more engaging in the second half. It's not as depressing at all. Okay, it's, it's still very morbid, but it's not depressing. I'm gonna go back to this you film know? definitely. I mean, it's it been on my list for ages, and I do want to watch it. Yeah. So I haven't, I haven't spoiled it because like that's a you should watch, you should watch. I want your interpretation of the, yeah. end of the film as well. Yeah. It's very like I'll try and watch it air. this week. Very up in the air. I'll try and watch it this week for uh-huh. I won't talk about it in the podcast, but just you know, for us. It's fucking for us class. About, you know? Honestly, one of the best films I've seen uh post two thousand. What do you think is like the best films of the two thousands? The best films of the two thousands. Uh so far. Um uh, The Master. The Master. I really like The Master. Mm. Um I really like First Reformed. Jesse James. Jesse James, definitely. Um, what else? Um, I'm trying to think of like important films. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of serious, you like, know, huge films. Like Shrek 2, yeah, but like, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, um, you know, like those kind of like pretentious art films or whatever. <laughs> mm. Mulholland Drive. Yeah, yeah, Mulholland Drive, yeah. This is a fucking hard question. Like I'm literally going through my films there. Like it actually is. Selling tales, kind of. But Selling like tales, yes, I wouldn't. In I a know. different kind of sense to the other ones. Very yeah. different way. I wouldn't go with that. The lighthouse, kind of. If if you yeah, can, no, actually, the lighthouse. I I'm the witch. The lighthouse would be up there. If you can interpret, like, if you can get that interpretation of grander things in the lighthouse, like that's. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and um. Yeah, it is. It's it's a difficult question, though. And yeah, in terms of like, we're probably just forgetting loads. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, one hundred percent. But um, I'm literally after name like five films that came in the last twenty years. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm forgetting a few. <laughs> Parasite as well. Let's you. Parasite. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um. Yeah. Parasite. But this is definitely one that like, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't skip. You know. Yes. I like it's important. It's like a an important film. It's an important film in in the way like the way we were just talking about like you wouldn't see films tackling things. Competently, that are like relevant, really. To like, this is yeah, this is like, like first driver, form, you know. I think first reformed is something like that would 
like obviously the, I think it's it's a bit clumsy in the way he talks about environmental stuff, but um, you know, Paul Schrader's mad old, so you can kind of forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let him so, away with it. But I, but it it does successfully pull off pretty much every other thing it does. What other films has Paul Schrader done? Because like he's done Mishima and he's done First Reformed, but I don't know what else he's done. Um, uh, he's done loads. I know he's. I know he he's did the Card Counter. Just came out recently with the uh, Oscar is a Card Counter. Oscar Isaac Card Counter. Um, that is one of the worst fucking pose, posters I've ever fucking seen. That looks dog shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's really good. Three point four. Reboot you so. What else is he? Jeez, twenty six films. He's done gangs. Yeah, he's prolific. He is prolific. He's a bloody legend, man. I thought that he only had like a few films underneath his belt. How much has he written? 30 films. Oh, he wrote... He fucking wrote Rage and Bull as well. That is gas. And he also did Last Temptation of Christ. That is hilarious. So his whole thing literally is just sad men doing things. He did uh, Cat People as well. But, oh fuck he did maybe you talk about that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that film is not good I'm afraid he directed that as well yeah yeah that is gas <laughs> that's so fucking funny oh do I receive any listener questions if you want to ask us a question you can hit us up on Instagram or on Twitter at paro underscore pod or you can send us a email at the paropod at gmail.com i'm actually going to check the podcast email right here let's have a look do you have anything in the basket that we can pull up right here come on gmail you can load a little bit faster than that baby <laughs> just a little bit faster than that baby <laughs> we've been hacked it's not loading <laughs> we've been hacked reloading oh oh no, we don't have any questions. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, we have, do have one question, though. And this is coming in from Rachel. And Rachel is asking us, after Discovery have purchased Warner Brothers, who would you recast in the Justice League series? First off, what are your thoughts on Discovery buying Warner Brothers? Doesn't make any sense. I did not know that uh, Discovery were that big. Ten and a half bill in revenue last year. That yeah. doesn't make... Where is that coming from? Oh, well, how much that did they buy Deadliest catch is not worth that much. Pawn Stars is, <laughs> though. <laughs> yeah. Like, how much did... um, How much was... Oh, fucking Discovery. How the fuck do you spell Discovery? But Warner Brothers. Dick's Aubrey. For how much? How much How much do you think it was worth? Six billion. Five billion. You think it five? They bought for five billion. Yeah, man, it's like forty-three billion or something like that. What? It Wait, how did the how did the ten and a half bill re- revenue? No idea. It was it was something like that. Who bought AT? Wait, Warner AT and T Discovery investors voted in approval. Ah, so it's AT and T that bought them, bought the company, bought Warner Media. What? I this thought, makes no sense. Sorry. I thought they divested. This is what I'm after reading here, Discovery. right? This is what I'm after reading here. Who who bought Warner Brothers? AT&T. Discovery investors voted in approval of the company's 43 billion acquisition of Warner Media from AT&T yeah. to create Warner Bros. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. That's wrong then. So, yeah, Discovery bought Warner Brothers. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. That makes absolutely no sense Wait, to me. Wait, I'm looking. Yeah, well, that doesn't matter. How is Discovery that big? I have absolutely no idea. 
Where did Discovery come from? Where did this massive acquisition come from? When did they get big? Yeah, they have like two channels. Do they have? They must have a streaming service, obviously. Who? No one subscribes to that. Yeah. Like, nobody. Like, man, surely the they fuck don't have any movies. Surely at some fucking stage, someone has to be like, okay, we need to stop this. <laughs> because like, I can't let this happen. In this year alone, Microsoft bought some massive fucking game. Oh, bought Activision. Activision yeah. Bought Activision. Uh, Sony bought someone else this year. Uh, Amazon bought MGM. MGM. Did Disney make another fucking purchase during this year as well? And they bought something? Well, they had Fox last year. Yeah. They've eaten up enough. And then we got fucking Dis- Discovery yeah. buying 18. Like, what the fuck? They'd step in. Joe Biden, do the right thing. Step in. This is madness. They need to nationalize all these companies. This is not Sparta. <laughs> yeah, these are, these are like... Nice little 300 reference there. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about that next week. Yeah, yeah. A little hidden reference. But, um... Zack Snyder, Justice League, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but... Like, these are dog shit. This is dog shit content as well. Discovery uh, are known for such channels as Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, TLC, The Food Network, HGTV, and The Travel Channel. Jesus, they own a load. What the fuck? But, like, no one... No one, reality no, TV and stuff like that. No one below the age of 50 has watched any of those channels in mm. about 30 years. No one. They Not a single TLC, person. They damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they own TLC. Well, I suppose people watch TLC, don't they? They do, you know. It's where you watch keeping up with the Kardashians, isn't it? Yeah, my embarrassing bodies and stuff like that. Yeah, that's not it's not the other day. It own is version. just like reality, though. That's so fucking weird. Yeah, all reality stuff. Oh yeah, Warner Brothers. That's so fucking weird. Forty-three million. They bought that more. That's more than what Amazon bought MGM for. Yeah, I remember Disney bought Lucasfilms for four billion. Wild. Four billion. Pocket change. Yeah. George Lucas, this, like, you fucking fraud. You should have waited. Yeah, you should have waited it out. Jesus, imagine. Well, I guess he's like that's like the first like big. I suppose he doesn't care. Start to all this. He's still making bank. Like. Yeah, he just doesn't give it rights. He hasn't cared in about 40 years. Mm. Who do you think's going to buy... I feel like fucking like McDonald's now are going to end up buying like yeah. fucking... I don't know, Sony or something. The extended Ronald universe. Who else? So- we need a Hamburglar movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Joker Hamburglar. Yeah, yeah. We need a dark take directed, on the Hamburglar. Directed and written by Paul Schrader. Yeah, Taxi Driver was the hamburger. It's De Niro is the hamburger. Like all these scum on the streets. Need to clean it up. I need to clean out the hamburgers. Greasy food eating fools. It's like a ve- <laughs> he's like a vegan. Yeah, yeah. There we go. That's how we do it. That's his origin story. Yeah, he's an environmentalist. Yeah, he's just a vegan environmentalist trying to take down the big corporation. Ronald McDonald. Yeah, yeah Ronald. he's the Batman. <laughs> Vote eighty, Ronald. I am vengeance. <laughs> what does Ronald McDonald sound like? He said, oh, doesn't he? Uh, does he have a voice? I don't know. Yeah. Don't as know soon either. as I said, there's like, does he have a voice? They su- there's such a, uh, there's a huge, like, McDonald's lore, you know? Yeah, there's I remember like seeing, a, like... You know Grimace? Grimace has a... The big purple dude. Yeah, he yeah. has a, uh, uh, what you call it? He we'll get like, back to your question in a few minutes here, <laughs> so we, we can wait. He has Irish ancestors. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> every, every, uh, every Paddy's Day, you know the, the Shamrock Shakes? Yeah. They whip out a, they whip out a... Oh, Grandpa O'Grimacy is his name, his actual name. You can look this up. O'Grimacy, he has a shellali and he has like a buckle cap and he's green. And he's a uh, O'Grimacy. And he's a uh, uh, Grimace's granddad. Uh, I've never heard this before. Yeah, that's like the, one, that's the, the deep McDonald's lore. They don't How tell many you about characters are there for the McDonald's franchise? It has its own wiki. There's a serious amount anyway. McDonald's oh, characters. It's, it's uh, Uncle O'Grimacy, look. Jesus, <laughs> that monstrosity. <laughs> 
That's so funny. I looked up on the right. I looked up McDonald characters, Ronald McDonald, early bird, whatever. And then just uh, your man from fucking EastEnders, Steve McDonald, <laughs> <laughs> Liz McDonald. <laughs> That's oh. gas. Jeez, they got fucking loads of characters. I never, I never really. I remember seeing them when I was younger, and then never really taking note of them too much. I remember they used to have the statues and. The one in um, actually I can't remember where it was, but they used to have the statues. I think it was up in Artane Castle. Yeah, used to yeah. Have them. Sunday, Ronald's dog. This is fucking weird. Ew! Look at Sunday. What the fuck is that? That's a rat. That's not a dog. <laughs> yeah, there. A lot of them are just horrifying. I need. I need to do a deep dive on the McDonald's character lore. I hear Grimace disappeared for eleven years. He was last seen at the Dodge, the Dodger Stadium, dancing to Black Betty in uh, twenty twelve. Damn! But he only recently reappeared in early twenty twenty two. Where t- was he on, on a TikTok? Where he, was he? He was disappeared. Is that the real Grimace though? <laughs> Why? How can we trust happened? him? Mayor McCheese. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, Grimace did something really fucked up. Officer Big Mac. They're all disbanded as well. From two thousand and eight, they all stopped. It seems, Captain Crook. He was a pirate. I remember him. Why did the why when the crash happened did they get rid of all these characters? <laughs> <laughs> they 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 committed the crash. They were involved. Yeah. <laughs> they had to disappear. They are they're all in the Cayman Islands now. <laughs> the Happy Meal Gang, a hamburger, fries, and a soft drink in regular size. Gas, fucking gas. Anyway, Rachel's question: Who would we make from the Justice League? <laughs> Form. Well, firstly, Superman would be Ronald McDonald. Uh, the Hamburglar would be Batman. <laughs> Birdie the Early Bird, Wonder Woman. <laughs> That's it. Um, who would I have? Right, who would you have as a Superman? Uh, Michael Fassbender, as an old punished Superman, and he's brooding, and he's like, I'm so old, and he's angry. Yeah, and he's disheveled for some reason. He's angry. Yep, sound good. That's I'm done with that. Say. Yeah, sounds good. Batman. Uh, I think Batman needs to be young. We need a young Batman. Just had Orpat. I don't want Orpat again. Do so you want an old Punish Batman? I think Ben Affleck is perfect for that. Yeah, you know, I actually think Ben Affleck. If Michael Fassman is Superman, yeah, let's go with that. Get him back, yeah. I think a dark, a greedy one. Okay, Wonder Woman. I'm trying to think of. Mm. I'm trying to think of, like, uh, an old. Dis- dis- Michelle seven. Rodriguez. Michelle Rodriguez is not a bad show. Or, you know what? Tilda Swinton. <laughs> Tilda Swinton. Yeah. She's so fragile, though. She'd be scary. She'd be really sinister. Mm. Yeah, yeah. She'd be... Uh, she'd be fuck- you know what? Have her play Batman. Yeah. That would be weird, Tilda though. Swinton playing Batman? As a kind of... Uh, what was it? Batman Beyond kind of thing? It's just really, like, thin, like, futuristic. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I like the sound of that. <laughs> I feel like... And I feel like Tilda Swinton could kick the piss out of me, so... <laughs> yeah, she needs to... I think limber up, though. She mm. feels very... Very, like... Stolid. Yeah, we just need her like we need you more like um even more active. Yeah, she's more slightly more jacked and then just <laughs> choke some dude out. <laughs> imagine, slightly more jacked. Just imagine a jack till this and I think I'd fucking <laughs> die if I saw that. Like I'd just melt. Yeah, that'd be so scary. Yeah, yeah. Like he's, doesn't he have to wear the costume, it's just like it's like in the, the opening scene of the Batman where it's just like lurking in the shadows. Yeah, just, it just till the like, steps out and they're all like, Oh shit. Yeah, like imagine until the Swindon had a really big biceps. I think I would fucking I think I'm like uh 
issues built. I, yeah. I start tapping immediately. I'm like, I'm not getting involved with you. <laughs> <laughs> I submit. Oh, I submit. I won't do it again. <laughs> I surrender. <laughs> um, okay. Well, yeah. What Wonder Woman, Michelle Rodriguez? Yeah. Why not? Or uh, I'm trying to say someone that's not in the MCU. Because that's an important caveat. So you actually can't use Michael Fassbender because he's in the MCU now. Ah, he's not really, though. Uh, X-Men is in the he's MCU. Uh, his X-Men... Well, no, his one isn't because he's the younger... He hasn't been in it, yeah. Yeah, so he's the younger version, so he's okay. Um, I was gonna say Wait, f- is, is, has Ian McKellen been in the MCU? He will be. He will be, I'm pretty that's sure. That's disgraceful. I'm pretty sure he will be, That's yeah. a disgrace. Because at the very least... um. Uh, Patrick Stewart is in the new multiverse. Uh, multiverse film. What the fuck is it called? That's pathetic. Doctor Strange. That is actually pathetic. Um, Wonder Woman. Yeah, I don't know. I can't really think. I can't think. Yeah, Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, just easy. Uh, Cyborg. Cyborg. Um, fucking um, what's your man's name? He was already in the in the MCU, but we're still taking him. Um, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. Daniel Kaluuya. He was also in the MCU, but... <laughs> was he? Yeah, they, oh, they're, both, still, they're yeah. both in Black they're Panther. They're all in Black Panther, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what, fucking Lakeith Stanfield, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, no, that is actually... He's not Jack... Yeah. No, let's have fucking Mike, Daniel Kaluuya, because Daniel Kaluuya, I feel like, could get fucking huge. Yeah, I feel like Lakeith Stanfield would be too um, casual. Mm. What's your man's name from... Um, Star Wars, Boy Anger, something like that. What's the man's name? Who? The guy from Star Wars. What? The guy from. Oh yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I don't know his name. I can't remember his name. Boy Anger, something like that. His name is Boyinger. Boyinger. <laughs> it is something like that. Oh yeah, Boyega. Yeah. Boyega. Yeah. Boyega. Yeah. Something Boyega. Something yeah. Boyega. But yeah, him. Uh, <laughs> Flash. <laughs> Tilda Swinton is Flash. That makes sense. Yeah, really t- Tillsman is fl- as Flash. Yeah, nimble. Um, I feel like she can run. <laughs> she's like sixty years old. Um, Flash, that's a hard one. Is it though? Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like thin, young man. It's just a thin young man. There's only one guy for it. And then Aquaman. Aquaman. Um, I'm thinking. Daniel Clue again. <laughs> again, he's just doing multiple roles. Yeah. Um. Yeah, sure, why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Skip the him. <laughs> I try to think do you want to... Do you want to... Give it to The Rock. <laughs> yeah. Just like a bigger yeah. version of Jason Momoa, basically. The Rock, yeah, he has experience with... Um, he's already in Moana. Moana, yeah, mm. yeah. He's already... The sea. This is a terrible Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine the pitch meeting. There's like, you're sacked. Use your vote off the project. <laughs> Here's the idea. <laughs> we're deciding it as we're giving the presentation. <laughs> like this exact conversation. I like in front of the in front of the ages and I like tell the swing that I feel like she could choke you out a second. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, you boy, man, your man boy. You just like turn to like the director or whatever. Boy, you man, you know no. you man I'm talking about. <laughs> You're the guy in Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, 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 you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Timmy Shalom, yeah, just give it to Yeah, yeah that fucking dweeb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck it up. <laughs> that's all we have. Just the docker is just it was just the names of the characters. Yeah, the way I had a misspelled wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder Woman. 
Wonder Woman, yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Batman. <laughs> Superman. <laughs> Yeah, I think we have a future in this business. I think we do. You know what? Paul Schrader, he showed that it could be done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're on the way. On the We're way. on the way. <laughs> this is a terrible yeah. answer to a question. <laughs> but you know what? We're sticking by it. I will stand by this on the day I die. Did we keep... We had Ben Affleck as Batman as well, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we just took that executive decision. <laughs> I know you want to revamp like, before we're keeping him. Yeah, we're going to go back to Ben Affleck. <laughs> no, we haven't asked him, but uh, we're pretty sure he'd take it again. He seems like he's not doing much. <laughs> Get Michael Keaton on the phone, see what he's up to. <laughs> oh, uh, fuck yeah, it. Yeah. It's good, though. Good list. Good list. I'd watch it. I'd take it. It would bomb, but it'd be interesting. It's got the rock in it, it's going to sell. <laughs> yeah, we squeezed him in at the end. <laughs> And for the box office, The Rock. <laughs> Sold. Sold. <laughs> Fuck it up. Will we leave it at that? We'll leave it there this week. Um, it was your recommended film. Yeah, we're going to watch uh, Paprika mm. next week. And yes. by Satoshi Kon. We're also probably watch Inception as well. <laughs> Will we? Oh, yeah, yeah. We can make that oh, shit, yeah. I've already watched Inception recently enough. Yeah, not a lie. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. <laughs> I haven't seen Inception. I could recite that film off the back of my hand. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'll be all right. It'll be good, though. It'll be good. It'll be good. We'll see you all next week. All right, see you guys. Bye. Bye.